welcome back to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them. I am the boyfriend. And I am the funniest girl. You really are the funniest of girls. <laughs> so you've got tough competition today. I do. I'm not funnier than Barbara Streisand. I'm quite ashamed. I've already got a bit of flack from Twitter. Yeah, you got shamed for this. <laughs> that I haven't seen this one yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't say shamed, just more people who are surprised that I haven't seen this one yet. This is definitely one of those musicals that I always assume everyone's seen. I don't know whether it's because my mother forced me to watch it as a child, but... I think I forget that this musical exists. Outside of Glee. Well, more just I forget that it exists full stop. Mostly because it isn't one that is on my horizon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm the demographic for this one. I feel like this is maybe the, you know, American version of My Fair Lady. Obviously, My Fair Lady is an American show, but this is more set in America. Sure. So it's like the American equivalent of that British story. I guess, now that you mention it, there are there are some similarities, I guess. But... I'm going to talk about in a minute why they're on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about this one. I know that it has Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. I know that this inspired a young Rachel Berry. Yes, indeed. To the point where Glee Club and performance became her life because yeah. she wanted to follow in her idol's footsteps. So much so that she was then Fanny Bryce and Glee doesn't actually do anything to do with the show. Now, Yeah, we talked about this at the end of our last episode Glee doesn't tell you anything about the plot of this musical. Yeah. Like, even, like, right, for someone who talks about Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl all the time, Rachel never drops any plot points. No, and the only song I definitively know mm-hmm. comes from this musical, is a result of Glee, but is, don't tell me not to fly, I simply gotta. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it is Funny Girl song. Mm-hmm. You're gonna recognize, well, So, there are two other songs from Funny Girl that are performed in the show. One of them is performed by Rachel as... They show it as part of, like, the opening night performance. Yeah. And the other one is a rehearsal performance where they have the guy that plays Mr. Fantastic and the guy that plays Carlisle in Twilight are both in that scene. And that is one of the songs from it as well. Now, one I can't of the... believe we're talking about this and we've just like, already gone on to Glee. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's important though, isn't it? That yeah, it's this relevant. This is a big plot point in Glee. Mm-hmm. So in Glee, they reference that it's a big deal that it's getting a revival. Mm-hmm. Is that just Glee storyline or is it accurate that this hasn't had a big stage revival? So it has. So it was... It opened on Broadway in 1964. Yes. It was a stage musical before it was a The movie. film is 1968. Yeah. How do you know that? I know things. You're so good at dates, it scares me. I, I know some things. I couldn't tell you how I know them. Mm-hmm. So in, in the kind of vein of knowing things, I was quite lucky to be invited onto the best film ever trivia panel over mm-hmm. the weekend and where you knew lots of things but i don't know how i knew these lots of things like it just kind of happened i tell you what you didn't know no movie taglines i did not know the movie <laughs> taglines but uh you can go to the best film ever facebook page where mm. they have the live video stream of us 
I say us, me taking part against five other podcasts in the best movie trivia ever. Yeah. And you can play along. You can see if you can beat my score. Spoilers, I was the winner. I I was, again, much in the vein of how do I know these things? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I honestly did not think I would do so well. You did. I thought you would. Right. So for those of you listening at home, Danny is really good at trivia quizzes because he remembers dates and weird facts. Yes. And I don't. And the only thing I was good at on this quiz, because I was playing along, listening to Danny in the other room, and the only thing I got was taglines, because that's a weird niche thing that I remember. But you were so good. Yeah, I'm very, very impressed. So go onto Facebook if you have access to it. Go to the Best Film Ever podcast Facebook page and check out the stream. It's fantastic. Shout out to that podcast. They are also amazing. Big fan of their show. Mm -hmm. We're going to see how well I've done with knowledge because next week we will be celebrating our year anniversary and you will be putting me to the test. Yes, so I very will. exciting there. So 1964 mm-hmm. is the launch of this as a stage show and 1968 was the film. So tell me a little bit more about its history. So it opened obviously in 64 on Broadway. So straight on Broadway, no like off-Broadway previews. It just went... Nope. Straight to Broadway. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how this got made after this. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, it opened on Broadway. Then we had a 66 West End production. Cool. Which is very soon, which is great. Then a 66 Australasian tour, which is cool. Then 99, it was in Melbourne. Hold on a sec. 99? Yeah. So a 30-year gap? Yeah. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Then in 2015, they performed at the Menier Chocolate Factory, which is off West End. Yes. And it's like a fringe theatre. Yes. Essentially. That's where they actually debuted, I think, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory before it transferred to Drury Lane. That would be really cool. I'm pretty certain that's... I'm pretty certain I haven't made that up. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Then there was a 2016 West End official revival. Yes. And then a 2016 Melbourne revival, and then a 2017 UK tour. But what I'm not hearing is a Broadway revival. Yep. The so, only thing they had on Broadway post the original is there was a 2002 concert version okay. for the Actors Fund. Then there was a New Jersey one at Paper Mill Playhouse, which is an amazing Paper venue. Mill Playhouse is where Frozen debuted. And it's where Disney liked to debut a lot of their stuff yeah. there. It's where the incredible Hunchback of Notre Dame took place. And that never hit Broadway. And I cry every day. <laughs> I, I wish noticed. it had. I didn't know it was over that, though. Yeah, it's over, just over that. Then there was an LA performance in 2012. So there's yeah. been a lot more American ones. But there was supposed to be a Broadway revival in 2012. Yes. And it got postponed. And then quietly discontinued okay so glee was actually accurate that isn't just glee adapting history for their storyline it is accurate yeah that they are doing funny girl and it is a huge deal mm-hmm. that the character rachel berry gets to be fanny bryce yeah how so, long did it run on broadway for initially initially it ran for 1348 performances which is pretty good successful opened in march 26th of 64 and closed in 
July of 67. Well, how appropriate that it is currently March 25th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost like we knew this was an anniversary. Night. Honestly, that's so weird because... That's really weird. It's not like we've planned that. And that's so weird that we decided, hey, let's do a Funny Girl episode on what would be, mm-hmm. I guess, an anniversary date for it. Yeah. Weird. So, out of interest, do you know who Fanny Bryce is? No. So, Fanny Bryce was a, a Broadway star, a film actress, and a comedian. She's a real person. So, this is an autobiographical? Yeah. Oh, cool. And she had a sort of on and off, stormy is the word they used to describe it, relationship with a man called Nick Onstein. And that is what this film's about. So, she's a comedian actress. Is that yeah. why she's funny girl? Because she's a girl making it in a male dominated Yeah, it's profession. like Marvelous Miss Maisel. Cool. Yeah. That's a, so oh. that's kind of what Marvelous Miss Maisel is supposed to That's like, very link cool. I honestly to, had no idea. Mm. And the musical was produced by Fanny Bryce's son in law, which is great. That's really awesome. That mm-hmm. it's kinda of like the gypsy thing where you told me it's autobiographical and obviously you know, is is the follow-up of, you know, a successful memoir. This is yeah. a, do you say son-in-law? Yes. So her daughter's husband. That's awesome that he would like to, I, I, well, I say. Well, I think it's weird, personally. No, I, but... It's nice that he would like to make sure his mother-in-law's legacy is upheld. Mm-hmm. Or is it a, hey, I could make some money off of this. Ka-ching. Well, he didn't basically, is what you're going to find out here. So Ray Stark, her son-in-law, commissioned an unauthorised biography of Fanny Bryce. Yes. And based on a whole bunch of, like, taped recordings she had dictated, so she had done basically a verbal diary of her life. And he was like, we should make this into a biography. And he really didn't like what was written, yeah. essentially. Because when you do a, a biography, you hire a ghostwriter, yes. essentially. And what he got given back was a book called The Fabulous Fanny. <laughs> <laughs> Which in America not... is not as funny, no, I don't wear, but No, that would not translate well in the UK. No. And it cost him $50,000 to stop that author from publishing that Jeez. book. Even though he commissioned it. Because people, other people wanted to buy it. Yeah. And he then decided, okay, well, if I'm not going to do it as a book, maybe I could do it as a screenplay. And that would be good. And he had 10 writers work on a screenplay for it. And none of them came up with something that he approved of. So this is development hell. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then a writer called Isabel Leonard submitted a book called My Man... Uh, which he then liked, and it pleased Stark, and it pleased Columbia Pictures, who agreed to make it. And they offered him $400,000 plus percentage of the grossing... Of the gross. Yeah. To make it into a film. Do you know who Mary Martin is? No. Right. So Mary Martin is a Broadway actress. She is the original Peter Pan, basically. And she's not the original Peter Pan. She's... The first recorded, like, Peter Pan musical. Nice. And she's great. And she contacted him after reading it, just offhand, and was like, hey, maybe we should make this into a stage musical. Fanny Bryce was a singer. 
like performer. So, so is this once Columbia's moving forward with it? No, they've only offered him at this okay. point, and he was thinking about it. Yes. And then, so he discussed it with a producer who suggested Jules Stein and Stephen Sondheim to produce the score. And Stephen Sondheim said to Jules Stein, I'm not doing this if you're having Mary Martin play Fanny Bryce. She's not Jewish. I refuse. That's some really good integrity. Yeah. That's really awesome. Mm -hmm. And then Mary Martin lost interest. Lost interest. So this is a Sondheim musical? No. Okay. I recognise Jules Stein as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you will. He wrote Gypsy. Okay, cool. Oh, uh, yes, as well as a yeah. whole bunch of other things. But yes, you all recognise no, no, from our Gypsy episode. So, they're interested, but not while Mary Martin's involved. Mary Martin loses interest, leaves the project, but Sondheim and Stein don't go through with this. Stein does. Okay. So it end, we end up with Jules Stein and Bob Merrill, who worked on The Breakfast at Tiffany's musical. Other than that, I don't think you'll recognise anything of his. Yeah. But, yeah, so they discussed it. And the screenplay and looked at everything and David Merrick was brought on to produce and they were trying to decide what to do and Jules Stein went on holiday for a month and wrote all of the music, cool. which is great. And while he was there, he met Bob Merrill and played the songs for him and was like, what do you think? And Bob Merrill was like, I'll write you some lyrics if you want. So they just started working on it. And they wrote it over a nice holiday yeah, basically. And Sounds Jules Stein relaxing. was like, fly to LA with me. It will be great. And when they got there, they realised that Merrill had a sort of... He had a history with Rob Stark and was like not on the best terms with him. And so he thought it wasn't going to work. But then because the music and lyrics were so good, they were like, let's do this. Cool. Yeah. And then they went ahead and were trying to decide who they wanted to play it. They approached Carol Burnett to play the lead. And did she say yes? Carol Burnett said, I'd love to do it, but what you need is a Jewish girl. So even she was... Even Carol Burnett was like, no, hun. I think this is so important because we have talked with Prom and with a few others about getting the representation correct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the 60s doesn't scream a time where people seem to care as much. Yeah. And the fact that we are in 2021 and people are still arguing over it, but... We seem to be making more headway. So you can imagine it's a problem today. It was a massive problem then. Mm-hmm. I love that you have someone like Harold Burnett who is advocating yeah. correct representation. Just all over the place. Yeah. We love Carol Burnett. Oh yeah, She's absolutely. Amazing. So eventually we're running out of options and Jules Stein is like, hey, I worked with this girl. She's Jewish. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. And... Brought her into audition. And while she auditioned, the only thing anyone could think about was how she was dressed. Yeah. And Stein later said that she looked terrible in her audition. And he said, all of her clothes were from thrift shops. I saw Fran Stark staring at her. And there was obvious distaste on her face. Yeah. So Franny Bryce's daughter did not want Barbara Streisand to play this role. However, despite the the objections of Fran Stark, Stark hired Barbara Streisand to play Fair. the role. And then she obviously popularised the role and was cast in the film. So this isn't like Julie Andrews, who 
popularised My Fair Lady and then didn't star in the film, Mm -hmm. Barbara Streisand is the original Fanny Bryce and the film Fanny Bryce. However, everything I've just told you took place in 62. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of time in between. Yeah, because the entire musical was shelved (laughs) for a couple of years until they hired Bob Fosse to direct it. Cool. And then he dropped out. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, he got bored of it and dropped out. And then it went into limbo. And then they hired Goss and Kanan. And then finally, they were like, okay, we're going to make this until Barbra Streisand was like, I don't like this director. So this really should never have happened. No. (laughs) There's a reason then this hasn't been on Broadway since, simply because it's... It just seems like it's really hard to direct this show and to make choices without... Because fairly obviously, when you put a show on, everybody's looking to see what will be the same as the original. Yeah. And everybody's looking to see what you're going to update and what you're going to change. And with this, you kind of can't change anything. Like, that's the whole point in Glee. Yeah. Is everyone's like, why would you remake Funny Girl? We don't need this. Yeah. And their answer is, oh, Rachel Berry. But... Well, they're planning to do it without Rachel Berry. Yeah, I know. Okay, so how does this fare at the Tonys? This is eventually made. How does it fare when it is released? Because it's run for quite a few shows, you know, over a thousand. That is successful. Yes, it was very successful. People liked it. It was doing really well in the reviews. So it got nominated for eight Tony Awards. Yep. And it was up against Hello Dolly. Which is why you keep getting it confused. Just why you keep getting it confused. I don't keep getting it confused. You've been saying we're watching Hello Dolly this week. I know. It's because I'm thinking of Elena's dog. Yes. Very cute dog, Elena. Shout out to Elena. We love you. Barbara Streisand obviously is in the film of Hello Dolly. Is she? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I don't think I've ever actually seen Barbara Streisand in something that wasn't like Meet the Fockers. Okay. That's fair. I can't think of anything I have seen her in other than that. I think it would just be musicals. That you would have seen her in. But don't think you haven't seen seen her in a musical, so... Yeah, so she's in the movie version of Hello, Dolly, which is why I get this and Hello, Dolly confused. I've never heard of Hello, Dolly, so I don't know how I can get it confused. I do, though. (laughs) So Hello, Dolly was starring Carol Channing at the time, and they were up against each other. Hello, Dolly won 10 Tony Awards. So it is uh, trumped Funny Girl. Funny Girl didn't have the success at the Tonys. Which is really, really funny. It literally won... Everything, everything it was up against for Funny Girl was won by Hello Dolly. Every single category. Fair enough. Which is such a shame because they they kind of didn't get anything. Sometimes you have years like that. You know, obviously the year Hamilton was there. There Mm -hmm. were a lot of other shows that any other year would have really stood a chance. Yeah, the only thing that beat Hello Dolly for anything is Best Performance by a Featured Actor in a Musical, which was for She Loves Me, which... Obviously, you're not going to know. But again, it's not Funny Girl, which is great. Okay, so we are going to watch the Barbra Streisand film version of this. I think if you're going to introduce me to Funny Girl, there is only one Funny Girl. Mm -hmm. Very excited. I believe we're watching this one on UK Netflix. Yep. Before we go and we watch this, Mm -hmm. your connection to it. Is this one you grew up with? Is this one you're particularly attached to? Kind of. I I have a weird connection to this one because I got shown it too young yes. to see this, okay. which is a sort of a trend whenever we talk about musicals. I was too young to see this. I didn't really understand what was happening. And did you see the film or did you see a stage? The film. Okay. And 
I think my mum just put it on because it was on TV one day. She just put it on and I watched it and I think I was like five or six. Didn't really understand what was happening. I knew I didn't like the guy. Yeah. And I Ooh, knew I liked are the there songs. Some very difficult No, no. I mean like okay. I was like why would she fancy him? Okay, fine. Okay, <laughs> you know, I wondered where that was going. Me like being... 6-year-old you already recognizing like male oppression. <laughs> well, we we can talk about that later, but uh, yeah, no, six-year-old me was like, he's not hot. Okay. So <laughs> what is this? Your mum put this on, you watched it. Yeah, and then years later when I was a teenager, I was ill and my mum put it on. I know this is a common theme in all yes. of my stories. My mum put it on again for like a sick day. We were, I was off school and she was off work and to look after me and she put it on TV and I ate soup and watched Funny Girl and I enjoyed it way more. <laughs> So because you, I understood it. Better. You like this one. So in terms of having that awareness and a more grown-up perspective, this is one you enjoyed. Yeah. I have a lot of stuff to say about it. Yeah. There are a lot of criticisms. However, I knowing that it's based on somebody's real life really changes the way that you look at it. Cool. No, that is important, I think, if I didn't know that. And I didn't know that when I was a teenager. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I don't want you to rain on my parade. <laughs> I'm not going to. Let's just hope I don't rain on your parade. I'm sure you will. I'll find a way. <laughs> it, it's like in um, Jurassic Park, you know, Ian Malcolm saying, life uh, 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 finds a way. <laughs> Boo. Danny uh, 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 finds a way mm-hmm. to ruin your favourite musicals. Yes, indeed. I, I, I'm excited. You know, yeah. I feel like this is one that I'm intrigued to see. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could be a Marmite musical. I think it is. You know, I'm either going to... I I think I might like parts of it. I think there'll be parts of it I'll just turn off at. You know, I know this is two hours and 35 minutes, so I reckon this is probably going to be the first time we ever do a two-sittings musical. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, but I feel like this is one that I really want to give, like... And I always do give full attention to anyway, but... Yeah. Um, I feel like this is one that I really want to give that time to. Mm-hmm. Because... A lot of people seem to say this is an important musical and the fact that, you know, you've told me about the representation and the the real life stuff yeah. going on with it. I think that's really important. And, you know, obviously Glee is a, a TV show, but if it can inspire someone so much to want to pursue a whole, you know, lifestyle, I think that's important in a show. Yeah. You know, so especially when representation isn't always great, if this is a show that inspired anyone and you know i have seen some of the the tweets already like i know that this is a a life-defining musical for some people again i will talk about elena's comments later on but i've seen how important this is as a show to her yeah um i'm very very excited to watch something that has had such a big impact on people's lives i think that that for me is what i'm most excited for about watching this one yeah speaking of life-defining musicals you, you're a drama teacher. Yes. You went to drama school. I went to a university and studied drama. I wouldn't yeah. say it was a drama school. Well, you, you know, you studied drama. What was your def- life-defining piece of theatre that made you want to be an actor? Slash drama teacher. It wasn't a bit of... It wasn't a um, 
bit of theatre. It was it was one actor in particular that made me think this is what I want to do with my life. Was I'd it been Jack in Jack Black. No, it wasn't. Funnily <laughs> enough, it was. So I, I was Mr. Bumble and Oliver when I was uh, ten years old, mm-hmm. and then I was a Munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. You would be an adorable man. But this was just school productions. This wasn't a serious thing. And I used to play football, believe it or not. I was quite the sportsman. And I was a goalkeeper. And I Mm -hmm. I loved doing it. And I could have gone either way. What made me want to act was Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You. That's adorable. I saw that film for the first time in 2001 when I was 11. (laughs) And that's what I wanted to do because of Heath Ledger. And I resolved at that point I was going to watch anything Heath Ledger ever did because such was my adoration of that man. I, <laughs> believe it or not, was not a Batman fan. I thought mm-hmm. it was stupid. So when he was announced as the Joker, I was like, oh, man. I'm I guess I to, like Batman now. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to watch this. And then obviously he dies and the, you know, Dark Knight is his last full role. Mm-hmm. And I have to watch this. I watch Batman Begins. I was like, huh, this is okay. Watch Dark Knight. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is the best film ever. And wanted to learn more about Batman. And I would now say I am a big Batman fan. Mm -hmm. You'll notice that I sign off (laughs) that way. But Heath Ledger is a very, very important actor to me. And And that's what made you want to do. That's what made me want to do. That's so so interesting. Believe it or not, 10 things I hate about you. So kind of in a way Shakespeare. Yeah. In a roundabout way is my life defining role. But at some point we'll have to watch Kiss Me Kate then. I guess. Because that's a musical based on Taming of the Shrew. Yes. So we are going to be back very, very shortly. Yeah. I will be educated on Miss Fanny Bryce. Yes, indeed. And I am sure I will have a whole lot of things to say about Funny Girl. See you soon. we are from the theater it's been a roller coaster career some might say mm-hmm. and some some big old time jumps that i forgot about that were in this film what i'll say about that is like credit to them for not just doing 10 years later you know like yeah but there's there's a couple of places where i think it's kind of like oh okay cool we're in the future now this is fine yes but and i'm I... glad they didn't do the Ten years later, or the the new Marvel thing where they put the title of the city that we're in, you know, because I hate that. But I like the way it works in certain things. Like I think Endgame, for example, nailed the five years later thing. You know, we've just been through this roller coaster. Yeah. Of, oh man! And now 
black screen in the five years later like it, it can be done really really well yeah but it is kind of overused mm-hmm. so i'd agree with you yeah i just wish it was clearer and we'll talk about that as we get into this film because right at the start of this film we flash back in time well right at the start of the film we actually have four minutes and 50 seconds of a black screen oh so we watched this on netflix yeah I haven't seen this film in about five years and the only times I've watched this film are when it's been on the television Yes, and they cut this and they cut the intermission part in the middle as well. And yeah, before we even get the company logo, there are four and a bit minutes of just black screen. We We, thought Netflix was broken. Yeah, we actually had to fast forward just to kind of check and then we fast forwarded too much. We had to go back to the beginning. I thought, well, we're going to watch all of it because we don't know when it would start. As soon as the Columbia logo flashed up, I paused it and saw we'd been watching it for four minutes, 50 seconds. Mm -hmm. So, I I think that's really poor. Yeah. I have to say, I've never ever seen anything like that, especially because you then do go in to a title credit sequence with another overture. Right. It's not like the original Annie where we get, you know, two or three minutes of the sun will come out tomorrow where they play the characters' faces over the top and we've got like the locket with people's faces and who plays them. That's... That's if that's fine. the way you want to do it, that's fine. At least there's something for us to engage in. But that's what I mean is I, I feel like... Because it's a really beautiful overture. Yeah. And I certainly... If I was doing a film version of a musical, mm-hmm. I would want to get the overture in as much as possible. And if the best way to do it is an Annie title card sequence, by all means, if it gets this really brilliant piece of music in that's integral to the Broadway show. Yeah. But for um... you to do it for four minutes, 50 seconds with nothing, and then do it again for another three minutes. You know, it was seven minutes and five before we actually started watching a film. Yep. Which is far too long. If you saw this in the cinema, what would you think was happening? I bet, because you worked in a a theatre. Yeah, we worked in a theatre. People would come and complain about this. Yeah, we we worked in a theatre where we had to put a uh, notice on the screen that was showing the artist saying... We are aware there is no talking. We are aware the dimensions of the screen are different. We are aware it's black and white. That's because this is a black and white silent movie and has been filmed in this manner. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had to do it for Troll Hunter. Like, we are aware there are subtitles. We are aware it is in Swedish. That's because how this film has been made. Yeah. So I reckon there would be loads of people who'd be coming out and you'd be like, yes, we are aware. That's that's not us. That is that is the way this is done. Yeah. You know, you can you can actually leave and get a refund in the first twenty minutes of a film. Is it true? Yep, that's how that's what they'll honour. If you sit for any more than twenty minutes, you've watched too much of the movie. Is that just the brand of uh, cinema that you worked in, or I worked for Cinema and that was our policy. Yeah, um, that might have been different now. I I left a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um, give and therefore, take. Danny does not speak for Cineworld or no. <laughs> any related companies. But I, I know that that used to be the policy when I worked there. And and that's starting from when the film started, not from the trailers, which take like 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. So 
you've got half that kind of grace period basically covered here with this. Mm-hmm. I just... I don't think if if we were watching this for fun, right? Obviously it was fun, but we're, we're kind of doing it for work, you know? Yeah. Like, I would have given up. I'd be like, why am I waiting seven minutes? You know? Mm-hmm. It's a weird choice. And it's the only kind of negative thing I'm really going to say about Funny Girl, to be completely honest with you, is I just think that's a very weird choice by the production company. The title sequence is okay, I don't like the colours. I don't like the weird tie-dye effect. Oh, yeah. So this is another weird thing. And it's actually in a couple of other movies from this same time where they put a sort of neon overlay on the backdrop pictures. And we're we're panning over New York. And so they're all weird neon colours, but they're sort of fading in and out and moving and it is very tie-dye and strange I, again it's it a bit looked, hair isn't it well, what it is is it i don't know because i've never seen hair but <laughs> what it looked like to me was again is our tv broken yeah it's you know the weird it's when you pressed colors. too much on an led and now the colors are all distorted mm-hmm. i was just like I, I was on the verge of asking drew what have you done to my tv <laughs> but you know i'm glad we're kind of starting with the negative stuff because i feel like it does only get better from here mm-hmm because our first thing we see is we see Fanny Bryce outside the New Amsterdam Theatre, her name up in light. So she is already a star. You know, if you look at the perspective of uh, her name, the size of the letters for her name compared to New Amsterdam Theatre or the title of the show, mm-hmm. there's more emphasis on Fanny Bryce. Yeah. She is the star. So it's nice to know. It's easy to know for everyone. This person is important already. Oh, absolutely. And the way she just walks in, it's so quiet and it's just lovely. Yes. How often in musicals like this do you have just brilliant moments of silence? Right at the beginning, Yeah, and she just walks. We cut to the theatre manager. We literally just see him sat reading a book for no reason. He's reading a paper. He doesn't do anything. He's just sat there reading. And I liked that. I thought it was weird, but I like it because it's just world building. There Mm -hmm. would be somebody there. He's almost like the security and he, he doesn't even interact with Fanny. He just said, he just sits there and he's just reading. Yeah. And he literally, you could cut him. But that guy probably it's is like, great. for the rest of his life, he's like, look at me, I'm in Funny Girl. Yeah. And then we get the most famous line from this movie. Hello, gorgeous. Yes. And this is quoted in hundreds of films. So I... Including the producers. I really liked that. Like our first proper glimpse of her is like her perspective of herself in the mirror. Mm. You know, like, we've not seen her face to face. We've seen a reflection. Yes. But also, you can kind of tell instantly that it's disingenuous. She's yeah. not looking at herself and saying, I'm so beautiful. It's just a, like, a silly, funny little aside to herself. Yeah. It's her own joke. So, she's phenomenal in this. We love Barbara Streisand. This is the first kind of classic Barbra Streisand thing I've ever seen. This is her first movie. Yes, I'm aware of that. Uh, the only thing I think I've ever seen her in previous to this is things like Meet the Fockers. Okay. Now, I always took it to be that, like Robert De Niro, she was a very serious actor. Mm-hmm. That this new comic turn was very much out of the ordinary. That's so funny, considering she was she's first and foremost a Broadway actress. Yes, but my... My kind of impression of her was very serious actor who 
had grown into some more comedic roles. Yeah. I find it incredibly interesting that she was always that way. And I wonder where I got that perception of Barbara Streisand being a more serious actor. Mm. You know? Because she's, she's so funny in this. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing. And, I can't, yeah. Yeah. But, Do you want to know a, a fun fact? Sure. So, William Wyler, who directed this movie, was asked afterwards whether or not she was difficult to work with. And he said, no, she wasn't too hard to work with, considering it's the first movie she's ever directed. And on their rap party, he gave her a director's megaphone uh, to make a joke about how she'd basically been in charge of the direction of this film, (laughs) even though he was the director. Which I kind of love. It's kind of like, that's great. Right. Who has had more interaction with this world at that point, though? Her, who has been doing it on Broadway, mm-hmm. or this director? Has he worked on the Broadway show at all? No. So I would well, exactly. defer to her. You yeah. Know? And I'll she... talk to you about the changes that they've made as we get to them, but it's yes. still really funny that that's what he said. Yeah. Like, instead of just being like, oh, she was a nightmare, she's the one that directed it, he was like, oh, no, she wasn't too difficult to work with, considering she's never directed a film before. Like... <laughs> It's so it's so good. And you get like a nice few moments here just to establish her character. She she checks the acoustics with this piano, she imagines the applause, mm-hmm. and then she shoots the audience playfully. Um and you know, you just get this really nice endearing sense of this character. She's not a diva, you know. There yeah. are other shows where you can have a character like this walk into a theatre like they own the place and just be a complete uh diva about it you know yeah and And she plays on the piano i'm the greatest star yeah but like a slowed down version Mm. of it i think it's i'm the greatest star but and then well when we've seen shows like this where the performers own the stage but aren't endearing we kind of i don't know have our back up against them because the way they're presented Mm -hmm. and this is immediately from the get-go i'm on her side here yeah she's instantly likable yeah and that's so important because I think it's fundamental when you're telling her story, you have to like her. Mm-hmm. If you have no attachment to her, the rest of the story is not going to work. So really, really good. In, you know, three minutes of screen time, they've got me firmly as Team Fanny. Cool. How many times did you laugh at her name during this movie, I Danny? I didn't. You did. I think I did once. <laughs> you did. There were some great ones. There were some great ones. I think I more wrote, laughed at like my my notes when I kind of read them back. Mm-hmm. I don't think I found her name funny. It's just the in inter sentences. Yeah. It's like oh, it 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 must, it's a hard hard night for Fanny. Yeah. You know things like that. Things like that made me laugh. Um, but that's you know a British thing, I guess, yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. Yes, if you are not from uh, England, then you will not know, but this is not uh, a common name anymore. It was, it's kind of a an old English name at this point, but yeah, people aren't called Fanny anymore here because it's come to mean vagina, so. Yes. So, she goes and she sits in the audience mm-hmm. and Emma comes out and says, hello, it's good to see you, I've not seen you for a while. I'm not sure we we get in this film what Emma's job is. Well, we get that she's a maid, but... Yeah, she's her dresser. Yeah. Which is... Or, like, personal assistant in the theatre. It's not made clear. No, it isn't, because she kind of follows her around. But, you know, she asks Fanny, what are you doing? And, and Fanny says, 
is the one place in the theatre I've never sat. Has she never seen a show before? Has she just been in show business always from the other side? That's really interesting. She probably hasn't seen a show at this theatre. Yeah. Because we know that she's seen shows she wants to be in his show, but... And she'd have been in the cheap seats when, Mm -hmm. you know... Oh, yeah. She would never have been there. No, exactly. second row. And there's some illusion that something big is going on tonight. We don't know what at this point. Mm -hmm. And... Emma says that Ziegfeld is waiting for Fanny. And we have a flashback. Yes. We don't know who Ziegfeld is. And he. we cut to Fanny in the seats. And she just is like, fancy that. He is waiting for me. Or mm-hmm. he still wants me. Yeah, so it's more something's that he's happened. waiting for her. Because she always has to wait for... Yeah, but something. again, it implies that there's been there's almost been a break of sorts or there's been a, a, a breakdown in the relationship between Fanny and Ziegfeld. We don't know what has happened. Mm-hmm. And presumably, because we now go to a flashback with a much younger looking, obviously it's the same age, Barbara Streisand, but... They do a good job of styling her to look younger. Exactly, like they've styled her to look a lot younger. So we go to a flashback and we get our first proper song and it's kind of a disappointing number. yeah. It's kind of just a few lines. It never goes full musical. I feel like we've kind of got a similar vibe to High School Musical in that we've not got a big song to kind of get us into this world yet. Yeah, and it's the same in the stage show. This is yeah. the opening number. And... and that's fine. Not a criticism. I just, I like a, a, a really energetic. And I think something that's something that Disney has kind of ruined for me is I like a big kind of energetic opening number. You know, like think Aladdin, one jump, head of the bread line, or or Bell, you know. Well, the opening song from Aladdin is okay, Arabian Nights. But it's a very short song, and we very quickly go into one jump. Yeah. Well, I guess in the film, it's short. In the stage show, well, Arabian Nights is a big number. I know, and it's great. but with, this, yeah, but like with the stage show, I've at least in the film, so I'm, I'm, I'm already going to be willing to sit through it. So I, I want more energetic ones. This one is just okay. This feels like a very My Fair Lady style song. Okay. Um, I feel I feel that this is typical of uh, songs of this era that we have, especially ones that are about normal people. It's not being made into a huge big deal. Yeah. It, this is a human entry. To yeah, this no, world. which is absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't even. It, it feels like the song itself is like a minute long. It doesn't feel like as much to the song. Mm. So you, two minutes thirty something. Yeah. Fanny claims, uh, after walking through the street, she gets to the theatre, she claims to be one of the eight beautiful girls. The old man isn't sold, and Fanny isn't either. And I think that's really, really important, because that's going to be a real thing for her. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? She seems like a really confident woman. Yes, but as a woman, if you're not pretty, you learn to be funny. Exactly. And I feel like she's made her peace with it. She's very at ease with it. But there's still a vulnerability to her. At times we go through different moments of vulnerability, which is really, really nice because we do see a funny girl. Yeah, she wants to be pretty. Yes, she says the line, makeup helps. We instantly see she definitely has a humorous side. Yeah, I love her giant milk uh, carton, isn't the word I want. It's like a tin milk pot, but it's got makeup painted on the side of it. And it's obviously like... We can see that she's not wealthy. Yeah. Like, immediately. Yeah. The show they're rehearsing looks absolutely bizarre and of its time. It's a very, very vaudeville act. Yes. And her dancing is just slightly 
Just slightly Just off. definitely not as good. Yes. And the fact that she's shown up in bloomers, the rest of these girls, they are in costume, but they're rehearsal costumes. Yeah. They're not the show costumes. They're wearing, like, tights and leotards yes. and things, and she's shown up in a dress and bloomers. Yeah. And she's promptly fired. Yes. Because she's just not good enough to be one of... skinny little legs. She claims she's been on the stage since she was 10. Mm -hmm. And she goes into I Am The Greatest Star. Now, I knew this one. This is definitely one that's been on Glee. Yes. So in Glee, we're just going to keep talking about this because this is your entrance to Yes, and I will kind of end as well by talking about, you know, like I'll summarise Funny Girl and kind of does it fit Glee right at the very end. But I have definitely heard... Yeah. This. So we see in Glee the opening night of Rachel in Funny Girl and Sue Sylvester's in the audience being rude to the, the guy that's writing the report. Being rude, Sylvester, yes. Yeah. And the two songs we see her sing are I'm the Greatest Star and a little bit of Oh My Man, I Love Him So. Yeah. Which is called My Man. Sorry. I always I want to call it that whole sentence. Yeah. But yeah, My Man. Yeah. So yeah, you will know this one. And it's pretty good, but it's... Not as charming. I feel like it, it goes, it peaks, and then just instead of kind of building to a big crescendo, it goes back down. It never builds back up again. Yeah. I like this one though. I think it's a really nice song, and I, I was like, I know this one, and I got really excited when she's on stage and you know doing her proper shouty bit. Mm-hmm. She says she is a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls, and this, it, you know, it does really seem empowering from my perspective to see a funny girl who will break the mold. Because there is no one else like her at this point in time. And she knows what she can do. And she is just going to push through and make it work. Regardless of what people say. Like, she won't take no for an answer. That's what you got to do in, the, no. in that job. And I agree. But it just it does feel really empowering that she controls the narrative here. Mm-hmm. There's none of this waiting around for things to happen. She takes control of it all. This is a really beautifully shot number, especially the bit where you are behind her and you just see her back facing the auditorium. You mm. know, like it, the, the cinematography is so gorgeous. And following this number, she speaks to Eddie, was it? Yeah, Eddie is a casting assistant yes. in the theatre. His job is just to find new talent. Yeah. And to do the choreography, I think. Yeah. But it's not clear. Again, the side characters in this you don't get a whole lot from them except maybe her mum. I yeah. feel like we can infer a lot about Yeah, her and that's, do you know, I like that. That's an ensemble thing. That's, that's yeah. quite real. I think, arguably, the people you need most are her mum, Nick, and Ziggy. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones you absolutely need strong actors for. Yeah. Because they are the ones that she has more to bounce off of. Everyone else will be there for a period of time, but then moves away. So... There's a musical called Mrs. Henderson Presents. Yes. And it is one of the musicals that I sort of conflate in my head as being similar to Funny Girl. It's set during World War II. It's not related really in any way, except for that the main character has sort of the same trajectory in that she has like a hard love story and she's trying to get into the theatre and she doesn't really want to do the things that she's being asked to do. So she tries to put her own spin on things. Okay. And... I think they just do a better job in that of showing the ensemble a little bit more. But this isn't the ensemble story. This no, is... and neither is that. Yeah. However, you get to know them just a but little bit better. I don't want to know them in this. I don't feel like I'm missing out for not knowing them. But he's in the whole film, and also, yeah, but I don't. He has a song. 
but I don't feel like I needed to know him. I didn't feel like he ever mattered. And maybe okay. that's their choice, but I didn't feel like I missed out on Yeah, I feel him. like that's a choice that they've yeah, made. Yeah, I, I, the, the characters, had we not got more of that depth to being, I, I think, yeah, her mum kind of is her mum. Yeah. But certainly, had I had no development from Ziggy or Nick, I would have been Ziggy. angry. Yeah, Zigfelt. Flo. Okay, well, whatever, I call him Ziggy. Um, <laughs> if those who didn't have the development I think they have in this, I would have been miffed. Yeah. Because I feel like their characters are more important to this. You know, ensemble performers come and go. This career isn't for all of them. And obviously, Fanny is going to stick the land in, stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. But not everyone will. So I don't care. And I don't okay. need to care. We do learn that she is not a chorus girl, and she agrees. She's a singer and a comic. Mm-hmm. And Eddie says, well, why didn't you audition for that? And she replies very, very appropriately, go, I auditioned for what you were offering. Yeah, she says, if you would have been looking for a juggler, I'd have been a juggler. Yeah, and I like that. Can she roll a skate? Because he's got an Can idea. Can she roll a skate? I love this. And this is a no. nice little thread, <laughs> yeah. You get this shot of her being, can I roller skate? And then you cut to her faffing it up completely. Mm -hmm. And we do learn before we have the jump cut that, you know, multiple jobs depend on this being successful. So we're going to roller skate rag and she makes them laugh. Yeah. Makes them laugh. And they love it. Because all the world wants to laugh. And this is, I think, as a sequence so much better for having comedy to it than it would have ever been as it was intended. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it looks so much more enjoyable. And it's really, again, I love the fact you've got like a a stage that has an orchestra pit, but the little ring around it. Yeah. And, That's you know. coming back actually yeah, into I, stage fashion. I did, because there's been a few performances we've seen of like at Tony's where they've done one-off things or mm-hmm. uh, I think Oklahoma recently when we watch clips from it has that as well. Yeah, well, the most recent Oklahoma is uh, in the round or in the square. Yeah. I've seen, <laughs> what do you call it when it's in the square? It's arena seating. Yeah, right. But I like the bit where they're all going one way and she's going the other way and having to wiggle like, through them. between them. And, and she ev- obviously can roller skate really well. That You couldn't do this. No, this is it. Because in her next number, she's going to do some capable roller skating, just, I guess, not the way they wanted. Yeah, she can't do choreography, basically. No. But... She gets more time because the audience loves her. Eddie recognises, like, the audience having a ball, so he pushes her back on. And, you know, she's got great improv skills. That's why she's such a good comedian, because she can improv in front of, you know, this audience. Mm -hmm. And the song starts to win this theatre manager over. Yeah, she sings, I'd rather be blue over you than happy with somebody else. Yeah, I like this one. It's a cute little song. But she doesn't I'm... even make it particularly comedic other than her roller skates. But there are small moments where you just look and you think, Barbara Streisand is such a dork. Yeah, you can just and tell. it's so endearing that you're just looking and you really root for her because there's just such a sense of comedy to her performance. It's small things that aren't important mm-hmm. that she does a really good job of. They mention Zigvelt, so he's clearly a big deal. They're in the dressing room. And everyone's getting changed and they're kind of nagging at her. They're going, oh, why did you go off? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, hey, someday Ziegfeld will be at this door waiting, friends. There's a... And... We have sound effects now, apparently. sound effects now, apparently. (laughs) I'm just like funny girl, I improvise. I work with what I've got. Mm -hmm. So we hear the... And 
she opens the door saying, that could be Ziegfeld now. Opens it. It's not. It's Nick. And all the women go, ah! Because obviously, state of undress. Probably Mm -hmm. shuts the door. And she meets Nicky Arnstein. 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 He doesn't seem all that. And the moustache is kind of creepy. Fun fact number two. You don't like him. I don't like him. But Barbara Streisand and Omar Sharif had an affair while they were filming this movie. Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand was married. Jeez. And this sort of contributed you... to the end of her marriage to Elliot Gould. As in Ross's dad. Is that Elliot Gould? Elliot Gould as in Ross's and Monica's dad are friends. Yeah. Oh, I love Elliot Gould. Yeah, they were married. I think that's Barbara Streisand's loss, personally. Uh, yeah, and so it it contributed to the end of her marriage wow. to Elliot Gould and their affair only lasted for the duration of the film but William Wyler the director yeah. he tried to channel Hans that like the director. director he tried to channel that into their performances yeah fair you would if you're a good director yeah I mean look at what happened with Twilight and look well, what happened with High School Musical however because the plot of this movie is about the declining marriage of a cu- real life couple spoilers spoilers <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now like <laughs> I mean we're gonna ruin it anyway but yeah. you know <laughs> but because it's about the decline of their relationship and Barbara Streisand and Omar Sharif their relationship was declining as this movie went on. It sort of does feed in yeah. to what's happening. However, they, they must have, have had to no film it chronologically chemistry. then. All right. They have I, no chemistry. I knew there was a controversy attached to Omar Sharif yeah. in this. And I guess that's what I knew of. I Yeah, so it's to do with the Six Day War in Egypt yeah. and how he they wanted I, yeah. him to be um, they wanted his Egyptian citizenship taken away from him because he was shown kissing Barbara Streisand yeah. in the movie, which sucks. Yeah, and I know that obviously things kind of worked out later on because, you know, he helped... Because um, I was reading about his Wikipedia page, I was, I was very intrigued because I was like, I want to know where I've seen this contract. And I saw mm. that he was used as a goodwill ambassador for, like, Egypt pitching for Olympics or yeah. uh, I can't remember what, if it was a, a World Cup but you know he was very back involved in you know Egypt mm-hmm. I he's clearly a great actor yeah Do you know I who don't they wanted think for this he was role? right for this and I think like you say maybe it's the chemistry that's an issue yeah but it's super weird if they they're having they're having an affair in real life. You'd think there'd be more passion. You'd think they'd have a little bit of chem- on-screen chemistry. I just, yeah, I don't think you ever got the sense. And and obviously the aging's weird, but I just, there's a lot about his performance that, I don't know, I feel like at moments it's a weakness because he just feels very, there's there's flat, depth to him. Yeah. yeah, he's flat. He's There's depth to his character, which is great, but the performance is just quite two-dimensional sometimes. Yeah. You know, even when he's angry, he is speaking the same. Even when he's very in love, he is speaking the same. Mm-hmm. Do you know who they wanted for this role? Who? Frank Sinatra. I and can see that. Barbara Streisand vetoed it because she had veto rights, apparently. Yeah. Um, because she thinks he's an amazing performer, but she doesn't like him as a person. <laughs> Which Fair. is, you know, Fair. if, if you it's have to work with someone like this. But... She obviously really liked Omar Shroom. But I could... <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but I could, I could see... Frank Sinatra doing it because he's older mm-hmm. um, and is a good singer and I think could have the personality of it. Either way, we meet him. 
He is literally a mask away from being the Phantom. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, especially with his ruffled shirt, you know, he could be the Phantom of the theatre. It's a weird moment where it freezes. Mm-hmm. And I thought the TV was broken again. And then you said, no, it's in her head. I hate this so much. This is such a weird choice. And it is a very it's weird not choice. clear enough. No. Right? Either Vaseline your camera so that I can see that this is inside her head or don't do it. Yeah. And have her speak it out loud, but to the camera or Especially because there's a better example him. of it later on where she's singing in her head. Could she not just like look at him and just be winking her eyes, not like moving her mouth at all? And you just have the echo voice being like, oh man, he's so attractive. Yeah. You know, like it just having it freeze... Mm-hmm. I honestly thought we jumped. I was like, huh, is is this broken again? Mm-hmm. And then there's another moment when he leaves, which we'll talk, you know, which in a second he leaves. But it jumps as she goes against the door. Like she's standing with her back to the wall and then suddenly she's facing yeah. the door. I wonder what was cut from that because that's weird. I, yeah, just it was jumpy. Uh, Nikki Arnstein prompts a bidding war for Fanny mm-hmm. and it goes up to $50 a week and the theatre owner's like, well, I'll, I'll I'll pay $50 a week. And he's like, hmm, that, that's too deep for my pockets. And she's got a great wage. And then she turns to him and says, so who else is interested? And he says, no one, I was bluffing. I'm a gambler. I was bluffing. She's like, you just you, bluffed you with my, my career. Yeah. And he's like, but it worked, isn't it? Really, really important because that's going to be integral to his character later on. He is a uh, poker player. Mm-hmm. He's a gambler. Everyone is excited. There's this telegram going through the streets. So yeah. I, presumably we've cut forward a few months. And you hear people saying, well, that's life for you. Somebody's dead. Because you only get a telegram to announce good news or somebody's dead, clearly. And they have news for Fanny. And she comes back and she says, oh, no, who died? <laughs> Which is a really nice continuation of that line. You know, this world building that even Fanny's like, well, it can't be good news. Who died? Was it was it uncle? Was it grandfather? Yeah. And the context also is like, you don't get telegrams for a good reason. Nobody gets a good telegram. No. You know, because if it's that urgent, like it can't be good news. Yeah. Like but, Otherwise, you'd send snail mail. Yeah, exactly. So somebody says, Sigfeld. And Fanny replies going, he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> But no, he has summoned her to the new Amsterdam theatre. Mm-hmm. Are we now where the film started? I don't think so, because she doesn't look... No, she doesn't cut that... all her hair off. Yet. No, exactly. She doesn't look that way yet. But it's interesting. We're going to see the start of a really important... And do you know what? This plot moves very quickly. We don't need to see her... You know, and, and... I was going to say, we don't need to see her paying her dues. But, you know, in this next number, second-hand... Mm-hmm. Uh, Rose. Rose. I... I I couldn't read my R and it looked like secondhand nose. <laughs> in secondhand rose, she sings about how she hasn't paid her dues yet. This is all happening so quickly. And that's quite cool. We don't know how long it's been going, but she's clearly this phenomenon. People are talking about her now. She has to go work for, you know... The biggest man the in the biz. biggest man in the biz. Yeah. Do you want to know some real things about... Ziggy. Yeah, Ziegfeld, but also... Fanny Bryce. Go for it. Just in terms of when they decided to do this film, because it's a biography. Yes. So Ziegfeld always had a comedian in his performances. Yes. She's not the first person he ever hired. They kind of make it out to be like that in the film, but I feel like that's just for Fanny Bryce purposes rather than realism. Yeah. 
But she wasn't poor. Was she not? No, she was very wealthy. She'd been uh, like a named star since she was 13. And both her and Nikki Arnstein were married when they met. Jeez. Yeah. Okay, so that... There's a lot of creative licensing there because that changes yeah. a lot of things. Well, especially considering this is sort of predominantly run by her son-in-law, and they're glamorising her legacy. People, yeah. they're hoping that people will remember Fanny Bryce maybe for Funny Girl and all the good stuff there, and maybe not look at the other stuff. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what you do with this. Like history is it's written like a by the winners. Saving Mr. Banks treatment. You yeah, know? it is. It's it's a case of we get to write this history. What do we want people to know? Who do we want people to side with? It's very interesting that he's also writing the story of his wife's father, mm-hmm. who doesn't come off very well. No. So that's very interesting as well. Like, it's not like they've gone for an even split between the parents. You can clearly tell who... Uh, is it Francis that they named the baby? Yeah, Fran. You can, you can clearly tell who Fran preferred as a parent, can't you? Well, who was around. Exactly. Or wasn't, as the case may be, as we see in this film. But we'll talk about that later on. So she is auditioning. Mm -hmm. And it's an okay audition. It loses her personality a little bit, which I find really interesting. You can tell she's nervous. We've we've already seen what she can do, and we've kind of gone back a few steps. And it's quite nice. It's quite humbling. Again, it's more endearing of Fanny to be able to see... She isn't always this smooth. She is aware of how big these opportunities are. She doesn't walk into it and think it's a given. And, you know, I like that. Mm -hmm. And she's hired. And we see that Ziggy is very hands-on. Yeah, he's the producer, but he... He's the producer, but also the director, but also, you know... Yeah, he leaves the actual directing to everyone else, but he has sort of final say over yeah. everything. I, do you know what? I quite like it. I, I like him. Mm. You know, he may be quite blunt and to the point, but I like him. I admire the way he goes about things. He has got a vision, and you know what? In terms of the power dynamic, he is in charge, and obviously when people are like, well, you're fired, then when she immediately like questions. Yeah. I don't feel he treats her harshly. Because she's a woman or because of where I feel like he would say that to anybody on that theatre. I feel like he is a man of integrity. Mm -hmm. And she's been here for, what, 20 minutes tops? That's what I mean. Is It's like, yes, he comes across quite villainish here. But at the same time, he's played with, like, integrity. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not a man who abuses his power. At least this version. I I can't speak for the real uh, Ziegfeld. I don't know who he is. No. This version, though, seems fair. You treat him with respect, he treats you with respect. When you're good to mama, mama's good to you. (laughs) And it's super interesting because everybody else calls him Flo. Yeah. Because his name is Florence. And all the actors call him Flo. The stage directors call him Flo. Like, everybody around him is on a first-name basis Yeah, really informal. Except for her. She's still calling him Mr. Siegfeld. And... Yeah. So she doesn't have that rapport with him yet, and no, she's exactly. already willing to argue willing to fight, with Which him. is good. We like. I like seeing that she, again, I believe this, I will stand up for it. I think that's, again, really important. How many women, or how many actors, full stop, were doing that at this point in time? Mm-hmm. She goes onto the stage to kind of critique it, having read the script. She can't see him, and someone shouts, he's above, like God, which I thought was funny. She says no to him. Everyone is stunned. Nobody argues with the landlord. 
And he says, I'm coming down. That's a great line. Yeah, it what is. A great, and they all laugh at that and they're then like, oh God, we should be yeah. doing this. When he's like, I'm coming down and the director promptly goes, take five minutes, everyone. Because he's like... He's like, get off the stage. Quickly, quickly, because Godzilla's approaching. Mm-hmm. You we know. have an interaction with one of the chorus girls who says just tell him that you were wrong. Yeah. And Fanny says, but I'm not. And she's like, in that case, it was really nice to meet you. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Absolutely love it. And yeah, he essentially tells her, you've got two options. You can leave Mm -hmm. or you can do it my way. And she chooses to do it his way. And he walks off. Yeah. And we go to his love makes me beautiful. And we get a really elaborate number. I'm obsessed with this song. This song is hilarious. This song was great. The fact that it shows up later as a reprise, yeah. incredible. There's some real stage magic here because when we have these beautiful women on their beds, like their mirrors and their reflections are clearly not them. So there's been some mm. uh, cinema editing going yes. on there. Doesn't it remind which you which bugs of... me when you have like, you know, the rest of it's supposed to be like this is on stage, but we'll we'll cheat here a little bit. Yeah, that happens a lot. I know it doesn't. Well. Always bugs me in any film it happens in. But yeah. it's a li- for me. This is the only point I noticed it. Mm-hmm. So, but so <laughs> it, this song really reminds me of Beautiful Girls and yeah. Singing in the Rain. You know, and because the, what they're filming in that scene is an advert, I think. Oh yeah, for, with, and yeah, this he, feels like that's that. exactly what I was going to say. Is mm-hmm. we're just watching sound of sound of music singing in the rain we're watching singing in the rain again yeah do you know at this point i'm thinking oh fanny was right this is gonna bomb this, this is terrible her. this sucks this isn't her yeah you know fair enough this is a really beautiful number like yeah. really well choreographed but this isn't her right and that's so that's the point she takes up with Ziegfeld. she says that if she sings how beautiful she is next to these girls everyone will laugh because it's not True, basically. But that's fine, you're a comedian. And she says, but I want people to laugh with me, not at me. There is a difference. And he's like, no, no, you're going to perform it the way I want it. (laughs) We have a bit where they're talking about a winter bride and the summer bride. I thought we were watching Cats. Oh, right. I know you haven't seen High School Musical 2. And I'm assuming... Watch this space. I'm assuming that High School Musical 2 stole this from Funny Girl. But oh my God, this this scene where they're talking about the different kinds of brides is shot for shot in High School okay. Musical 2. For me, it was like... Not Jelly. High School Musical 2. I meant Grease. <laughs> I meant I've Grease seen Grease. Too. Okay, Grease 2. Yeah. They're the same. It's the same film. That's fine. So yeah, this bit felt like very much watching Jellicle Cats come out to play. Like this is like the whole <laughs> yeah. the rules of the Jellicle Cat and the Jellicle Ball. That like, this was just the bride rules. T. S. Eliot. <laughs> oh my god. And we finally see Fanny show up, mm-hmm. and she walks down, and we learn that she is in the family way. She has stuffed her what? dress the family way. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Well, you should have if you were listening to the film, because that's how her aunt describes it. All right, okay. <laughs> Boo. So, yes, she has made a mockery as a pregnant bride, and she gets the last laugh on Ziggy. Yeah. And the audience are loving it, and he is storming down, angry. And he stops, because he's, he's watching, and he's like, oh, they really like this. Yeah. And he's in that, oh, damn, she is so good, and she was right. But she undermined me, and I can't have that. And you can see this going on in his brain. Her charm is excellent. The actors are so into it. You know, they interact with her, and it's like, the actors, to their credit, they go with it. It's so funny. No one looks bad here. Had she done this, 
and the actors were all phased by it, it would make her look so bad. But because the actors like, oh, you're so right. This, so is stupid. Great. this is great. Yeah. You you like her more. Like if she'd affected other people's professionalism, you'd hate her for it. Mm-hmm. So the lyrics that she has to sing, and Siegfried said he wants her specifically to do this because she has a strong singing voice, which is fair enough. She does. But the lyrics she has to sing are, I am the beautiful reflection of my love's affection. Which, because she's pregnant, or she looks pregnant. She's like the beautiful reflection holding her baby. Yeah, and she keeps like looking down at herself and being like, and then this bits where she looks at the other girls and the other girls are singing about, you are so beautiful. They're singing to her. And she's like... But there's a really nice moment where she turns, turns her head and she's eye level with one of the other women's chesticles. And she's like, ooh. But <laughs> she does, she grimaces. She's like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, she's like, ducks. It's great. It is a really funny sequence. She has to dance with one of the men yep. as well. And, and he's he, got a big smile on his face. It's supposed to be a waltz, so they're supposed to push in close to each other, but he has to, like, bend over but her he goes stomach. with it, and it, it works. So great. The uh, curtains close, mass applause, and she sees him and smiles. It's like she's won. Mm. All the actors are great. And he well, comes... felt really nice. Here. He is really nice. nice. Again, like really, really fair. And he's approached the actors going, that was a great show, everyone. Really, really well done. I need to borrow Miss Bryce for a second. Yeah. And he says he's proud of them, which is yeah. adorable. This is I it. Like, like again, this is a moment where you could have a really villainous turn from him. No, he is good guy Ziggy. Mm-hmm. And we get this line. He takes her into a dressing room and he says, this is not acceptable. And she says it was a spur of the moment impulse. We get the line here about, you know, they laughed with me, not at me. Mm-hmm. And just as he's about to kind of, I think, progress with a spur of the moment decision on his end, the family come in and, you know, mum talks about how nice it is to see her her girl up there and thanks for the opportunity. She's a star. We get the aunt who mentions, whoever thought of this, you know, this beautiful bride being in the family way, that's so clever. You're such a clever man, Mr. Ziggy. Yeah. And then they leave. And the silence is just awesome because you have this moment where you can just see the characters both like... What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Fanny is like, I feel really awkward. I'm in trouble. I'm probably going to get fired. And this is going to be worse now. Yep. And he keeps her. But he says, he has a big problem. I should fire you, but you are my star now. Yeah, and I should I, fire you, but I love talent. Yeah, I'm going to keep you. But I cannot stress this enough. You must follow my orders from now on. So she says, that's fine. I promise you. I, I will do it as you wanted it tomorrow. And he says, no, you will do it the exact same. And that's an order. And you get to see that right now, right, this is it. She has got a friend for life, a really important figure in Ziggy because he respects her. This is the closest he'll come to admitting without saying he was wrong. Yeah. This is, But by doing this, this is an admission that he got it wrong. You know, you, but you don't need this man to say I was wrong. You were right. It does. You don't. You don't feel that like you need that here. This is enough. Mm-hmm. So we leave with that, and then we get the Phantom of New Amsterdam is here. Yeah. To flirt with Bryce. He's so creepy. He, I don't know whether it's the mustache or. I I think it is just his performance, and I think it's one of the most jarring things about this is I don't feel like I'm ever rooting for them to succeed. Yeah. If it turned out that he was a vampire, I wouldn't be surprised, you know? There's a moment where he looks like a vampire. Yeah. yeah. I just... I, he's clearly a very, very good actor. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't feel he is the actor for Nick. He gives her some gorgeous roses and they go to a party on Henry Street. Yeah. Henry Street. <laughs> and Mother <laughs> Bryce is jealous of the Phantom. Is she jealous? Yeah, she's very... I think she's jealous of the attention, kind of like... I feel like she thinks he's an insidious character. Did you think so? I thought she was kind of like jealous that, you know, Fanny's getting some attention and oh, she is not. I don't think it's jealousy. It's more protective. Like, you can okay. tell this guy is of higher means than they are. Yeah. And oh, yeah. that he obviously spares no expense on his clothes or his <laughs> job or what he does. Spared no expense. Obviously. But Fair. I like her line. She says, yeah, well, you know, strangers shouldn't act like this around company. You're a stranger. Strangers should act a little strange. Yeah. And like not so familiar with yeah, people that you fair, don't actually know. And he's over familiar with everyone. He is. But he treats everyone like that. Yeah, that's just his personality. Like that's how he, he plays the game. Like, But she's right. If you're in somebody's family home, that's an odd way to act. Yes, yeah. There's a difference between being a guest and becoming well acquainted that you you are not family, but you are family. Yeah. You know, like, and, and you don't do that on your first trip. No, exactly. Yeah, you don't make yourself comfortable after a, like a week or two of knowing these people. Mm. You're still not comfortable in my parents' house. I am comfortable because your parents are awesome. <laughs> However, I am acutely aware that I am a guest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to uh, forego the goodwill I've built up. Yeah. By becoming coming across disrespectful or outstaying my welcome. That's fine. I'm going to keep you anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all the older ladies, all the older ladies, all the older ladies <laughs> gossip about the Phantom and they play poker. He has four aces. His poker face is awful because he gives a Grinch-like grin mm -hmm. when he looks at his cards. And it's like, you know the moment where the Grinch grins and when uh, Tim Curry grins in Home Alone? Oh, yeah. He gives that Too grin. Too many teeth. Yeah. He's looking and he's like, oh, yes. And he foregoes the hand because he's going to be a gentleman and let right. these ladies win. This is the only point in this film at which he earns any goodwill with me. Yeah, I agree. Correct. That is exactly what you should do. You're playing with somebody that you fancy's family. Yeah, you've got to like, be nice. You know, had he known them a month at this point, and has he been around there? By all means, be competitive. You will have seen that. I am very competitive when we play games with your family mm. now, but I wasn't at the start. No, you've got to be gracious. But we learn that everyone ships. I put Fanny because it's Phantom and Fanny. Because <laughs> I forgot his name, but everyone, everyone ships Nikki and Fanny. Yeah, and they walk along Henry Street, and she thought of him every night, and she says, "You know, I quite like you." He's intrigued, and he asks if she has a boyfriend. She says she's been too busy. Yeah, she doesn't see herself as gorgeous, and he agrees. Smooth, really mm -hmm. smooth flirting, which like I know the way I've just said it is very blunt and he's obviously like, but there's more to you than that. But I feel like he should be like, no, you are beautiful. But he's just like, no, I agree. You are not gorgeous. Yeah, you're not really my normal type, but you know, you're interesting and that's better. Cool. Like, thanks. Cheers. Thanks. And even she's a bit like, okay. 
Yeah. Like, it don't just... try and woo me or anything. Yeah. We go into the song People. And there's a really weird over-the-shoulder shot as she's walking down the street. But because it's over his shoulder... Oh, he looks like he's stalking her. Yeah, it vampire. positions his, yeah, his vampire Jack the Ripper <laughs> at this point in time. You know, it's a really weird shot. The only other shot I can think of is Jurassic Park. So, like... <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> throughout Jurassic Park, they position us in the human's perspective in one example. And listeners, I urge you to go watch the famous kitchen sequence again in mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. Because there is one scene right at the end where Timmy is going to run into the walk-in fridge. Yeah. And the position shifts that we are the velociraptor chasing him. Yeah. And it's such classic horror. Like, but they only do it once. It's the one point in the film they position us as a dinosaur. And this is the dinosaur. It's like, hmm. Dinner. Eat a child. <laughs> and it's so weird because like we've we've grown to love these children because like we've been positioned as Dr. Allen mm-hmm. working with them and surviving with them and suddenly we're like kill, kill, kill. And it's awful. It's it's mm-hmm. a it's a bold choice from Spielberg. Yeah. And it's a bold choice here to position us as Nick, who is slowly stalking Fanny on the dark streets of Henry Street. It's mm. just weird. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Uh, but hey, everything's okay because we're at McLaren's. And we learn that this is how... Yeah. <laughs> this is so, how... <laughs> he met your mother. Yeah, so this is the same... <laughs> Basically, this is filmed on the same backlot as they use for a lot of sitcoms, yes. but specifically How I Met Your Mother and the stairs going down to... McLaren's pub. McLaren's pub in How I Met Your Mother are where she's standing while she sings People, which means every time this happens, I stop paying attention yeah, and I start thinking about, like, Marshall but, singing this. But you started singing Suits. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I can't take it seriously. No, you can't. And it's one of those ones that, you know... Obviously, this came first, but we're big fans of How I Met Your Mother. And even I knew, noticed it. I'd already written it down when you told me. And I was mm-hmm. like, hey, this is kind of familiar. Yeah. And of course, when my prior knowledge is this, that's what I'm going to jump to. Yep. The lighting here is where the Phantom really looks like a vampire. Because mm-hmm. he's so pale. He needs to get out in the sunlight a little bit more and not just sit in his like gambling dens. He leaves to breed horses. So Fanny says... Oh, why can they not do it if you're not there? And he's like, oh, you're so funny. But the answer is clearly no. Like, because <laughs> he's still going to go. He is still going to this, go. There. This is my thing, right? This guy exists. This character type of this guy, we've all met him. <laughs> well, this is a real man. This I is know. a real interaction. This is why he's so awful. Is because I think every woman in the world could tell you that she has either known or dated this guy who goes off and does his own thing and is like, oh, yeah, but you're busy. So it's your fault I have to find things to do. Well, And it's like, it just doesn't have time for you, thinks that you're just having fun. Well, this is it. We've had, you know, we have conversations with people about things anyway. Mm -hmm. But this this is definitely a case of Fanny thinks she can fix him. Oh, 100%. And who hasn't been in... 
that relationship. That relationship. I know I have. <laughs> I know I have, you know, where um, you feel like you'll be able to change their initial views going into it. And maybe you shouldn't be in a relationship with them anyway. But you're like, hey, maybe they'll change as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And that's what she's she's in. Yeah. He is a single bachelor. Yeah. And money and everything else is his first love. Mm-hmm. Well, and- so one of my exes straight up told me he didn't want to ever live with me. Yes. And I internalized that as like, oh, I just need to make him think about it more. But you were telling me this story, yeah. Oh, uh, we were in Ikea when that conversation happened as yes. well. So I was looking at furniture. Like for when we lived together and he's yeah. like, we're, we're not going to live together. It's like, well, no, not now. But eventually he was like, mm. No, we're not. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I can fix your... him. I can change this. Yeah. If I'm just the best girlfriend I can be, I can fix this. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> and this is it. There's nothing obviously wrong with people where that is their perspective that they don't see a future. The, the different, but that's the conversation no, but, you need to have. But that's the conversation you need to have in the same way that, like, you know, sometimes you do try and change somebody in a relationship and actually you're in the wrong for going into the relationship thinking they will change, you know. Mm. I know that with with my ex, she was adamant she didn't want X, Y, Z. And I thought, well, that's fine. I'll still get into this relationship and I'm sure maybe that will change. change her mind. Yeah, th- yeah. Th- that will change. Maybe she's just been hurt and maybe I'll fix... All, all, all that and make it better and no and that's my fault for getting into that mm-hmm. you know I wouldn't ever blame someone else who had been honest about that you know so they kiss he still goes to breed horses the cast has gone on tour they're now in Baltimore they all take a picture but they're more interested in Miss Baltimore Crabs as Fanny gets <laughs> off and she gives the uh, really silly smile because she just can't smile seriously mm-hmm. and as they're walking towards the gates we see that phantom nick is here and judging by her reaction it's been a while and we learn it's been a year and two weeks and that's how i want these things to be done it's just thrown into conversation like it worked really well like mm-hmm. it wasn't like a big like you know make emphasis on this line it was just casual conversation and it worked and he is a creep for making her wait like this yeah. I think that's a really... Because essentially the conversation mm-hmm. they had outside McLaren's is, hey, let's get married. You know, we both like each other. Let's declare intentions. And he agreed with that, you know, and he got his kiss. And then he had too much fun breeding horses. Yep. And he's meeting another girl. He says he's there to meet with his Elsie. Yeah. What a creep. This is another one where I'm like, his, can I just put another red flag on this guy? I've already got like eight so far. Yeah. But this one is, he says this knowing that she'll think it's another woman. Exactly. I thought it was another woman. There's no way to take that where you would assume it wasn't. No. And we cut and he points out his horse. I'm sorry. You knew exactly what she was going to think when you said that line. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to make us hate this character more? Now, again, you've told me this is this is kind of from Fanny's perspective and her notes on her life. So presumably, yes, yeah, she is going to be talking down on these things. If this actually happened as an exchange, why would you still go forward with this marriage? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay. So, yes, it's a horse. He is seriously gaslighting her. And he says, well, maybe you can come for dinner tonight. She's like, no, <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. And I just think, woo. Good for you. She turns him down. And he says, but I want to see you so much. Clearly, it's been a year and two weeks. Like, yes, you must just miss her so much. That yeah. 
this is another here's my other red flag he's kept a tally of how long it is like to the point that he can be like oh yeah it's been a year and two weeks exactly but it's emotional gaslighting again why didn't she make the move why is it all down to him and it's like Mm. well I'd have taken you to dinner every night if I could but you didn't ring you're busy it's your fault exactly this is Ah. it it really now I'm disliking (laughs) having watched the whole thing especially where it goes Mm -hmm. it is like it's awful and it's, it just, it goes on and on and on. Like, it's always her fault. Yeah. And you get the, you get the sense, especially with people, that if she had agreed to sleep with him that night, we would never have seen this guy again. No, I know. And I think the thing is that's worse is my perspective of all this was, she has never had a boyfriend before. Mm-mm. This version of Fanny feels like she's still a virgin and, uh has focused on her career and has never focused on a man. And this is the first man she has ever felt liked her. Now, obviously, we know that's not going to be true because real life Fanny had a husband. But this version feels like a virgin. A hundred percent. And it makes it even worse that that's the treatment that she would be getting from him. Yeah. Maybe not my favourite phrasing of it. But no, I, and, and, you know, but I appreciate she... that very clearly has values that she wants to uphold like yes she is of the opinion as we learn a little bit later on that if you really like a girl you marry her yeah and that that's it yeah like that's when you get what you want you know exactly it's after you're married exactly he doesn't know how to court no he either. doesn't he's not nice well it is just like the phantom isn't it of hey i wrote you a letter i want you to be in my play mm. you know it is weird mm. emma's back Emma is back because Emma works... What's her significance? You know, she's one of the first characters that's not Fanny that we meet. I was expecting her to be a bigger deal and no, she really isn't. So she clearly is the... I don't want to say matron. No. But... She's her keeper. Yeah, but not at this point, not just Fanny's. Yeah. She is here to look after all the girls, to see to their needs because they need a female chaperone. That's the word I wanted. So they have, you know... A woman whose job it is to make sure that they're not stupid and don't run away with men that they meet on this tour. So Emma needs to be fired because Emma's like, you're clearly going. And Fanny's like, no, I'm not. And Emma's like, please, I'm doling you up. I think if it was anyone else, she'd be fired. Yeah. But because it's Fanny and everyone's like, she's a force unto herself. We can't control this woman. Oh, no. I'm Yeah. Yeah. So... I love, what I really love is that Fanny cannot do anything seriously. Like, it is really doing, it's really cute. Everything she does, there is this comedic edge to it. And obviously it's mm-hmm. her own insecurities. You know, she doesn't view herself as gorgeous, so she's she's dialed up the funny. Mm-hmm. You know, she's dialed up the personality. Yeah. But everything she does is just so cute. Like, I'd fall in love with her. 100%. And I, How I, can you not? You're supposed to. Is it. Like, I personally think she's gorgeous as well, you know? Mm-hmm. But... It's just such a shame that that's her view of herself. Yeah. And she says, "Don't you don't have to have male leading lady dialogue for me. I'm a comic. I love things like that because it's like, this is the world we live in and I'm going to talk with, you know, these metaphors. But it's also yeah, so talk to me sad, like I'm a person, you, know? you know, that she's like, I'm not the leading lady. Please just, you know, yeah. cut that and just talk to me like a person. He gifts her a blue marble egg. It's so ugly. And he also Is that expensive? I don't understand. It's like a Fabergé egg. I'd say it's expensive. It must be because he got it from the continent. Yes. And 
you know, blue marble, he probably had it carved himself or whatever. Yeah, like, it's definitely but expensive and definitely status. He 100% won it in a game. Oh, yeah, definitely. Somebody just bid on it. Like, Hagrid won his, you know, dragon egg. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's a dragon in that egg. <laughs> but we, she keeps it on her dressing table for the rest of this That's movie. That's the mistake. Is if she it's put it so in, ugly. Yeah, if she put it in the fire, she'd have an egg. Maybe I just don't like... No, that's not true. I like Tat. I like little I live things. in our flat. I know you love Tat. All right, Funko Pop Man. I know, but right? <laughs> All right, Dice Girl. Yeah, so I collect dice and I just... Nerd! <laughs> no, right? I'm really cool, I promise. I talk about musicals and collect dice. But... <laughs> like the, I just cannot see... The only thing I own that is comparable to this is I own a little ceramic carousel. I know, I'm looking exactly at it right now. And it holds a special meaning to me. It yeah. was given to me by my mother and it held a special meaning to her. Yeah. So that kind of feels important. Mm. But this egg that he clearly won in a game... And he's like, oh, I got you this here. I put it on your plate at dinner because I knew that you would have to come and have dinner with me. Yeah. Like, all right. He could have sent that up to her room and it would have been more special. Exactly. It's a, you know, I'm sorry you didn't come to dinner. I was yeah. thinking of you. I saw this and thought of you. Mm. I don't like the fact and the emphasis on the fact that they're drinking dry sherry together because it feels like the next bit just... Um, Mm-hmm. Is 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 very much led by the fact that she has been overcome by the alcohol that her fragile female sensibilities cannot handle. This whole se- next sequence, I did not care for. Mm. Um, <laughs> I guess trigger warning because, like, I might be saying things that might upset people in the way I describe it. It comes across quite sinister, and it's not meant to. It is. This is very insidious. It, this it is very insidious. So, you by know, modern standards, by I modern suppose. standards, you know, I, I just want to be respectful. But I genuinely think that if you stop the music playing, yeah, this does not look like a loving courtship. The fact that she is trying to get away, and you have playful music makes it seem like she's just protesting but she's really enjoying being wooed yeah so you know that i like to watch 54 below yes and if you haven't seen it go on youtube have a look at 54 below there are hundreds and hundreds of videos of amazing broadway performers performing at this bar and singing musical songs and then there's like musical cabarets where they all do disney princess songs or they all do songs by I don't know, the Beatles or, yeah. you know, it's a lot of Broadway performers. Stylistic and experimental, yeah. Yeah, it's great. However, there is a performer called Amy Jo Jackson and she performed there and it's one of my favourite videos to rewatch over and over again. And she made a remix called The Inevitable Sexist Medley. Yes. And this song is in it. Yeah. I, I did not care for this song. By by 2021 standards, this feels like a very outdated song and I've seen this you know in Glee. really annoying? <laughs> my favorite song in this soundtrack so this is i i think personally this song was done very well in glee with mr fantastic yes. and rachel this is the best one that we see them perform in yeah. glee um i think the difference is here very much because rachel's playing up to it in that performance like they're aware that rachel is flirting back yeah whereas in this it doesn't it really doesn't look like fanny wants this attention no, and it's weird, isn't it? Because yeah. I so I watched that the Glee song the other night, and it, you're right, Rachel's character of Fanny is playing up to that attention. She mm. knows she's pulling away from him to make him want her more. It's like the trail to Oregon last week, where yeah. you know it's like, well, I want you to woo me. 
Yeah, you got to woo me. Like, yeah. come on, let's try yeah. it. And this version, he because he's already so dislikable. Yeah. If this was the first instance of him being a creep, you would be like, wow, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. But this is, I just expect this. Yeah, but this is it. You've got Fanny who is in two minds about coming here anyway, mm-hmm. who is keeping her distance. There seems to be a lot of arguing between them at this dinner anyway. And then... He's kind of overcome her with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And now he's kissing her on the neck as she's trying to to, to move away. Yeah. She even has... And, and credit to this song, I like the bit with the interior monologue. You can see that with the interior monologue, she's kind of intrigued, but doesn't necessarily want to commit to it. And that's fine. And the way it's filmed, with her just trying to get away and sing it in her head, I got that clear. You didn't need to see her opening her mouth. You knew it was interior monologue. Yeah. But this whole sequence just doesn't work for me. Because of the way it's presented in this film. Mm. Yes. So the my biggest issue with this song is, first of all, this song is a bop. Mm. My biggest difference between this and the stage musical, obviously, is in the film, it's happening inside her head. Yes. Whereas in the stage musical, the actress has to sing it. It doesn't matter who plays her. The actress has to sing it. She has to sing it to the audience so that we know what she's thinking. Yes. And I think that changes the way it comes across. And I think it's more comedic when you have her singing it out loud and we understand as the audience that he can't hear her, but yes. we can. Oh, yeah, and she's cause... like, just suppose he wants his dinner back. Like, Well, that was a soliloquy, so you're the one who's being rude. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, I think it's funnier than we have this very quiet Barbara Streisand moment where it's in her head and she doesn't sound like she's making fun of the situation with just suppose he wants his dinner back. It's oh, God, he's going to want his dinner back. He's yeah. going to expect me to sleep with him in return for yeah. paying for all of this food. Yeah, it's a really, really bad sequence in the film. And it does make me like Nick less. Mm. Well, they go for lobster in an actual shed. Yeah, lobster shack. But it's funny because you think of lobster being an elite meal. You know, like nowadays there's a... There's a um, and the kind of joke is like, well, if someone takes you for dinner and you're not sure, order the lobster because they're paying and you expect it like a fancy like restaurant and here they are in a shed. Yeah. It just, I liked the parallel. So is this where we've already cut back to her mum? Yeah, they've cut back to her mum and Fanny sounded tired and now she's just being silly and there's some lots of laughter. But yeah. mum knows something's up. Yeah, and so mum says that every city she's been to so far... Fanny lives like a mouse. Yeah. She is only in her hotel room and the theatre and that's it. She doesn't go out anywhere. She doesn't go out for dinner. So what's different in Baltimore? Right. And she's been to museums and galleries and graveyards, which, I mean, I understand graveyard tours as a thing, but it's just funny to think about. And then, like, running up and down the streets and going for fancy dinners and stuff. And it's like... And then we cut back and they're in a, a shed eating lobster. Yeah. Although... One of my favourite lines from this, the guy who runs the lobster shack is like, hey, if you eat a third one, I'll give it to you for free. We've never had anyone eat three lobsters before. I thought seafood made you really sick if you ate too much of it. I don't know, because I've had allergies to seafood. Yeah, you're allergic. <laughs> so I don't tend to eat it, and obviously we're vegan. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> Maybe Elena or Jared can tell us. Have you, you eaten eat, lobster? If don't, you eat don't, lobster. Anyone, if you eat lobster, does it make you feel sick? You know, like... Yeah. The yeah. only reference I have is from an anime where she eats the girl in it. Is eats it Food Wars? Much. No. It's 
or on High School Host Club. And the main character eats too much crab and it the makes her sick. Only reference I have is The Simpsons where there's like an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet and they have to kick Homer out and he's like, no, you said all I can eat and I'm still hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so he sues them. Nice. <laughs> we get a really awful line here from Nick where he says to think I'm the man who introduced you to your first... Oh, and she lobster. says he says lobster, and then she says first of a lot yeah. of things, and which again like, makes it even more clear that he was her first. Yeah, they slept together. He's going to go to Europe to gamble. So yes, immediately, wham bam, thank you, Fanny, because he's going to go to Europe to gamble on the ship and recoup his money because his horse did not do well. And that's very much what he does: is he spends money, has his elaborate lifestyle, but it's fine because he will always win it back in poker when he starts to lose his money, his fortune. Yeah, in other places. A really vicious, awful, yeah. toxic cycle. And she says to him, I don't think, I don't like gambling anyway. Yeah. I, I'm not an advocate for it or a fan of it just in general. So I'm not going to speak favorably of it no. anyway. So I'm going to avoid that topic just because yeah. I'm not going yeah, nice no, exactly. about it. But she says to him, oh, Europe. Wow. Like, why are you going to Europe? That's so exciting. And he's like, oh, I'm not really interested in Europe. I'm just going to go on the boat to play cards. Exactly. And, and she's like... Back. You're going to get on a boat that presumably takes a couple of weeks to get to Europe. Yeah. Because it's like a cruise liner mm. and you're just doing it to play cards. And he's like, yeah. Like, he doesn't see anything wrong with that. No, I know. It's a really awful. How much did it cost him to get on this boat? Yeah, I know. <sighs> so, yeah, she is upset he's leaving again. So she storms out of the lobster shack. Mm-hmm. The guy's probably like, but I already started boiling it. But, you know. Nick says he loves her and they smooch. Again, just more toxic gaslighting of like, but you can't be mad at me because I love you. Did you notice? And I don't know whether this is a directorial choice or just maybe they were limited to the amount of kisses we were allowed to see in this film or something. She always turns her head away from him when he tries to kiss her. No, I didn't. And he always gets her like on the jaw. But this was a big kiss. Yeah. It's the first big kiss we see of them do. So maybe they were limited in how many times they're allowed to like... Maybe this was like right at the start when like they were really into each other and maybe the rest of the kisses are like they're no No, longer into each other. even before this. It's always the neck. Yeah, but they don't film it in order, honey. Maybe they shot this scene at a point in time when they were both very loved up and then a few of the later kisses scenes are like when they're on the outs. (laughs) I forget that they don't film they don't in film order. in chronological order. My brain only works in stage musical. Oh, I love you it. so much. <laughs> so, I know things. Sorry. I'm the one that knows things. It's, it's a so reason I won the film quiz and you did not. No. Uh, she goes to the station. She's a little bit gloomy. She's not your typical happy fanny. And... <laughs> True. <Aww>. Drew. <laughs> You wait until I've drunk something to make jokes like that. I didn't mean... I'm just... I'm not making a joke. I just said she's not a typical happy fanny. What's funny about that, Drew? Why did you want to laugh? So, Nick sends roses to the station and Fanny perks up. Mm -hmm. We have a happy fanny now. And she very quickly makes a decision. This is what she's going to do. She sends Emma uh, to... Uh, call Ziggy and say she is not going to Chicago. She is going to go to New York with the Phantom of the Theatre. Mm-hmm. And she's going to go to Europe with him. And everyone's trying to talk her out of a like, this is a 
bad idea. Like, he doesn't want this. He really doesn't want this. He literally didn't ask you to go with him. And she says, when he sees me, he'll be glad. And somehow I doubt it. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. And she, she tells Ziggy, I'm not coming. Sorry, get someone else to do it. And everyone is raining on her parade. Mm-hmm. So naturally, we go on to Don't Rain on My Parade. Yes. And the build of sound that leads into it's like the real good cacophony of everyone telling her this is a bad idea. She's got a bad idea. <laughs> and she just suddenly says, don't tell me not to fly. I simply got her. And it's great. Yep. Oh, but. I did not expect this sequence to be a travel montage. I thought this was going to be a big, more musical, like we have with the one where she comes out pregnant. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be like big song and dance number, and it was just her on a travel montage, <laughs> which I, I honestly had no no idea. Oh, fun fact: the guy who is playing the captain of the tugboat that she's yes. on is the production director. Nice. Uh, he was in charge of all the scenery and everything. And he really frequently gets cast as this kind of role. Yeah. Because he's kind of a stocky guy with a big white beard. A big bushy beard. And he'd be on set for films and they'd be like, oh, we need a boat captain. Hey, you want to be a boat captain? And he's in loads of films. That's so cool. As this kind of role. Just because that. he looked like that. That's good. That's, That's so great. Yeah. Uh, he, we get to New York and he has left without her. So she gets on this tugboat and gives chase to him. Mm-hmm. This felt very unfanny-ish. Like her chasing a man. Yep. She's been so independent and just like headstrong. She's, she's headstrong. And now she's on a boat. Trapped. Like she's Kate and Leo. Yeah. And that's just a very weird way to end. And we have intermission. So this is where we caught it a day for night one. It's yeah. the first time ever we have done a musical in, in two, two sittings. Yeah. But I feel like I was enjoying this one. And if we'd kept watching it, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Because I'd have got too tired. Because, you know, day jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and like we said earlier, I wanted to treat Funny Girl with the respect I felt it deserved. And yes, we, yeah. we, we stopped at intermission. Yeah, so we obviously work a normal day job we go to work every day and then we do all of our recording and watching and notes and things in the evenings after work and i spend my weekend editing yes and so it literally we got home at like four no it was later was it yeah yeah so by the time we get home and have dinner and put a film on this is this is a long old movie. Yeah, we, we left at about four thirty. Yeah. So it was like by the time we got going, we'd had dinner and everything. It was seven, and we thought, right, we need to. And watching half of this was already a late night for us. Exactly. We so we so... needed to, and, and like I say, I think otherwise we are not we're doing a disservice. So you know, fun behind the scenes factoid for us. This is the first time on this show that we've not done a marathon which you know speaks volumes of the fact that when we did Mamma Mia 1 and Mamma Mia 2 we did both of those back to back and we did all three Harry Potters in a day mm-hmm. you know we, we we like doing that when we can but this one we really felt like we knew what we needed to do so seasoned podcasters here you know <laughs> coming up on a year and we, we've we've got some hacks so we have the intermission and we pick up day two and we have more black screen of death for three minutes, mm-hmm. which is so not necessary. I do like that it came up with a pink intermission. I thought that was funny. And maybe that's because uh, this is this is a two hour, 35 minute film, according to Netflix. 
So when this was released in 1968, there's every chance that this has been a lot longer than most films are. And that intermission serves a purpose of people going to use the toilets, going to go get their snacks. So perhaps this is a functional choice at this point. In this movie. Yeah. yeah. Which I hadn't thought about until just this second. Mm -hmm. Phantom Nick is staring out a window and his butler is doing things. He's buttling about. Mm -hmm. And suddenly Fanny shows up. At least he was happy to see her. He seemed happy. Yeah. The butler calls him Mr. Bryce. And he says he'd seen Fanny in New York and she was simply magnificent. I love that he says that. It is, but that's a really important line that, again, I didn't pick up on until later on. And, and I guess till this second now, that is such an important line because mm. of where everything's going. Yeah, it's really nice that he does the whole, your wife was magnificent. Goodbye, Mr. Bryce. And the little, <laughs> the little like, twitch on his lip. It's a small thing, but you can tell he's like, I did not care for that. Yeah, because Fanny thinks it's really funny. Yeah, but he does not. No. So they go to dinner. Mm-hmm. And we learn that when a man sort of loves a woman, yeah. they propose marriage. Right. This is something we talked about after we finished watching it. Yeah. She knows. She has values. She has values. However, they have a conversation when they're in his cabin together, yeah. where she says, look, Nikki, I'll never tie you down. I know you don't want that. I don't expect that from you. I'm assuming she's talking about marriage. I don't know what else she'd be talking yeah. about. And then we cut to this scene, and she's like, hey, you know you should propose to me. That's probably a good idea. There's a captain over there. He could marry us. And it's, again, very weird, because it doesn't feel like Fanny. No. She's, she's kind of got a little bit mad. Yeah. Stupid with love. He does propose, but only when he's head of the family because patriarchy yeah he says he'll marry her when she, he's made enough money to buy them a nice house and everything and this is where we get a call back to one of my favorite jokes and i love it he says he's got a poker game tonight mm -hmm. and she says well can i watch and he says well can you watch with no expression Nope. She's like, yeah, can I watch with no expression? And it's just like the no. roller skating. It's excellent. <laughs> it's and I, I thought watching her watch the poker was more fun than watching poker. It was hilarious. The fact she's looking at other cards and trying to be, you know. Biting on her glove. Yeah, laughing, but then going really like stern faced. And it, you know, I thought, oh no, this is going to impact his game. Because others were trying to read her mm -hmm. and not him. And it actually helped. Because... They called and he won. Yeah. Because they, you know, she has a good poker face. But she's going to retire for the night. She encourages him to quit, quit, quit. But he can't leave when he's on a streak. And I think, oh, this is only going to end badly. And the next thing we see is him slamming the door behind him. She is asleep on the sofa. Uh-oh. He's not had a uh, good game. No. But no, he calls her Sadie. Yeah, so this is a, a reference to the fact that when he came to visit, yes, originally, um, she has a friend called Sadie, which is her mother's friend's daughter, who is married. And, and she aspires to be. Yeah, she that's what she thinks a married woman should be like. Yeah. And he calls her Sadie, and it's a really nice reference, because it's just, she's like, oh my god, how could you do this? How could you do... Wait, what? <laughs> and she gets the reference, and he has all the Monopoly money. And he just throws it up in the air. He makes it rain Monopoly money. Yeah. And yes, 
That is pretty cool. She sings her marriage name, Mrs. Arnstein. Yeah. And then we get Sadie. Were they married at sea with no prenup? Basically. Yes. Which is why he can destroy her life and her livelihood. But again, how far have we flashed forward? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know for certain. Nick has a large house. He made a fortune on the Epsom Derby. Woohoo! That's where I'm from. Shout out to, yes, your 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 home. We've actually been to... My childhood you know, home. Yeah, we go, you know, in a non-broken world. Yeah. We, we've been to the race course for Sunday lunch. Yeah. Not for the races, because mm-hmm. not quite our... Uh, not really my scene. Not really our scene, but, you know, it's our second show on the podcast to have races. Yeah. So, you know, we've got Ascot, we've gone Epps, and we're going around all the sites. Mm-hmm. What will our third racing podcast be? Who knows? Mm-hmm. His singing voice... It doesn't hold up, Mm-mm. I don't think. And I, I paid more attention this time because I wasn't cringing like he I has, was before. Yeah, he has a lot more in the stage show. Yeah. I, do you think they made some cuts because he wasn't as capable a singer? Well, so yeah, they cut eight songs from the, the Broadway show. Yeah. And then they wrote three. Okay. For the film because they... When they redid the orchestrations, they wanted it to be more mainstream and less Broadway, which is understandable, but Jules Stein was not pleased about it. I will say this. I don't feel like any of the songs stand out as not fitting. They all seem to fit. Yeah. But so Jules Stein said they didn't want to go with the stage success. It was the old fashioned MGM way of doing a Hollywood musical was to link the Broadway show to the film. They wanted to change things in their vision but they always do it wrong. But of all my musicals, they screwed up. Funny Girl came out the best. Which is fair enough. Yeah. He was okay with it. He comes across quite a doting husband at this point as well. There's some nice moments like where she's on a sofa and he skids into her and he's... That's cool. Yeah, like like there's there's nice moments here and I'm kind of like, oh, maybe it will work out. Maybe these kids will be all right. No. They won't be. He's only a good husband for as long as he has money and can buy her things. Yeah, because that's how he thinks he he makes. His love language is gifts. Hers is not. And my love language is gifts. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> She's now pregnant. So again, they've really jumped forward. We meet their baby and the baby's so tiny. And she sings a new version of His Love Makes Me Beautiful. Yes. Which in the middle of Sadie Sadie, which is hilarious. Mm. And they have a painter in, painter decorator to do Fran's nursery, which they've painted the boat that they got married which on. Which I think which is, is a cute. nice touch. That's yeah. cute. Fanny is working hard to get back in shape. We see her doing sit-ups before she is doing yeah, dance. Yeah, with Eddie. It's a weird thing to kind of show. You don't necessarily see that sort of thing. Postpartum body. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you know, you just kind of see her go back or whatever. But again, quite nice to show, like, she's serious about this. I feel like Eddie was a missed opportunity to maybe explore, like, a other romance. Yeah, so in the stage show... I always understood that he kind of fancied her. Yeah, like that's the only thing I would say. I know obviously I've gone on earlier about how like don't need to know more about Eddie. I like the own assumption that I have made that Eddie was like into her, but she was like, no, Eddie, we grew up together. We will never be more than just friends. Right. So in the stage show, one her Eddie Ryan is the character's full name. She, he's a dancer in the vaudeville show that she's in with the yeah. roller skating. When her career takes off. 
He's her friend. He comes around to her house for dinners and stuff. Well, he's walking with her when the telegram's announced. Yeah, and Eddie and Mrs. Bryce have a song together where they sing Who Taught Her Everything about how she's going to get famous and forget about them, essentially. And it is kind of a... That's a shame that that one didn't make it. Right? Because it's such a weird little number about how... Especially because these when, people who really care about her are yeah. losing her. But especially when we see later on that Fanny has maintained those contacts. Like yeah. it makes you like her more. But I guess the problem is maybe for this film audience, you might watch a film and dislike Fanny that you think, oh, is she so like... Yeah. Well, so again, in the stage show, after Sadie Sadie, there is a song called Find Yourself a Man, which is Eddie singing to Mrs. Bryce. Hey, you know, Fanny's got a husband and a kid now. Everybody else is married and moved on. Your husband died. Why don't you find love again? Yeah. And he doesn't mean with him, but it's just that, like, they've kept their relationship. Yeah, that's quite cool. In that he's basically her son. I feel like that's more filler than the film needs, It's though. absolutely filler. Yeah. But, and this film is already a thousand years long. But I just yeah. think it's cute. And that's what I meant when I said he has more character development. Yeah, that's before. fair. So, we learn that Nick is currently in Oklahoma trying to strike oil. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a terrible idea. Yes. I've got a terrible feeling everything's not going his way. Mm-hmm. Call it a hunch. Emma's back. For, yeah. For, like, no discernible reason. I noted any time Emma came back, because I really thought she would be more important. Just because, yeah. like, first person we see, it seems like she has a connection. She really knows Fanny. Well, so I looked up this actress. Her name is Mitty Lawrence. Yeah. She was a model. She was... Oh, she's gorgeous. Miss Bronze California, 1959, which is a pageant thing. Yes. And she was a billboard girl on a variety show, but she literally is only known... For Funny Girl. Cool. And that's kind of it. And then she was in a TV drama. And that's kind of it. And she, it says, she is best known for her appearance as Fanny Bryce's personal assistant and confidant. Well, again, in Funny I do Girl. feel, sorry, again, to, to undo some of the words I said, she's the only one I felt like, maybe we need a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We learn that Nick found no oil. Are they in trouble? Yes, because they're going to sell the country house for an apartment on 5th or 6th. Yeah. Um, and again, Fanny takes it in her stride. It's, it's, she says how the commute has been unbearable. So let's just, let's just do it. It'll make it easier for her to work. That's the worst. I hate I'm so mad about this. What, how did he lose the house? I know. But, Are they paying rent on this house? Probably not. It seems no, like he well, bought no, it. No, no. So he's, he gambled he's, away he, the house. Is that or he's... I don't think he's gambled away. I think they're selling it for something more manageable. I don't think he's lost the house. No, they're selling it because he doesn't have enough money. Oh, no, I know. No, I get that much. But he's also like... isn't Yeah, so he's not lost the, the upkeep. house. They have servants at yes. the house, you know? So it's, you know, credit to Fanny. She always looks on the bright side. But, you know... It is what it is. He goes gambling and everyone knows he's failing and it's the spotlight because of his wife. Mm-hmm. It was a lot easier to get away with this when you were a single man that nobody knew your name. But now you are Mr. Fanny Bryce. Everyone knows your dealings. They know that you are struggling. Therefore, they will exploit that. So he, you are seeing really like the downfall now. Mm-hmm. And... We get uh, a scene where Fanny is upset because he's not yet shown up to opening night. Yeah. Which is awful. Like, absolutely awful. 
you know, that's... Uh, I can't think of a good excuse. It's not like he's working. He would claim he's working. He's not. He thinks he's working. No, he's it's not. not acceptable. So we have this song. Our second Swan Lake. Yeah. And this song is called Swan Lake. And they wrote it for this film. I liked this sequence. Yeah. In the stage show, the song is called Rat Tap Tap Tap. Yes. Which is really difficult for me to say. And the reason they cut it and wrote The Swan is because they felt like it was too old-fashioned for this Fair. film. However, it's based on a real song from this time period, so yeah. it wasn't really a problem. No, but I really liked it. I thought it was funnier to see, you know, a comedic swan lake. Yeah. The opening is very Busby Berkeley, and the cinematography is just incredible. It's just mm. so oh, gorgeous. Really funnily, for three months before this sh- this happened... Barbara Streisand had intensive ballet training. You could tell. I was. I was. I, she was I, good. Yeah. She. I was like, wow. I didn't know she did ballet. Clearly, yeah. she didn't. So one of the co-directors, Herbert Ross, his wife Nora Kay was a ballerina, yes. and so she trained Barbara Streisand oh. for this, which is funny. Well, this scene, essentially, in this version of Swan Lake, she is the Swarax. She speaks for the swans. Hmm. She's basically like, stay away from my swans. Mm-hmm. And it is nice that her career has just picked up. You know, she's obviously going to have had to take a break for family. Yeah. And she's still the star. It's not like she's had to repay her dues or work in smaller theatres, especially after ditching Ziggy for uh, Nikki. Mm-hmm. She's just, she's still there. She's still a success. It's really nice. And I would also say, I guess, empowering that she can have her career. She can have her family at this point in time. Yeah. You know, it's not like she's had to compromise and say, it's your career or your family, girl. It's she can have both. Obviously, I don't know the behind the scenes stuff or the real life stuff. But right now, I like that. Yeah. She's not in smaller theatres. She is still Fanny Bryce. Her mannerisms are excellent. I just love it. Yeah. And then she's a bit miffed at Nick, as she should be. Mm -hmm. He's like, where's the party? And she's like, well... Funny thing with parties is you need a host. And if your host isn't in the mood for a party, there's not really going to be a party, is there? So, yeah. Yeah, and so she says... It's such an interesting way of describing it because she says that the party didn't feel like the hostess would be in the mood to throw a party because the host wasn't here. Yeah. And I want to know whether that's a real thing. If... She just didn't feel like throwing a party because he didn't show up. Yeah. Fair enough. Or if actually the society that she's in, people were like, oh, your husband didn't come to watch you on opening night and he's still not here for the party. This is a bit awkward. Like, we should go. Possibly. I don't know. Because I don't know which one's worse. Yeah. We learn it got great reviews. Americans love Fanny. Mm Mm-hmm. So rude. I'm not. I'm, I'm. That's what he, the reviews said. Americans love Fanny. Yeah. And poker is not work, but we do learn his luck is running out. Mm-hmm. We cut to a scene between her and her mum, and mum is is kind of off, and Fanny's being her typical self, you know, laughing, joking, mm-hmm. and mum says she is surprised at Fanny. Love him a little less, help him a little more. Yeah. And she's put him on a pedestal, and these problems are your fault because you've not been a good wife. Because you've not spoken to him as an adult. You You're have... still like starry-eyed over him. And she's right. She's you know, right. You're I'm... an adult. You have adult problems. Exactly. Deal with it as adults do. Don't mm. make excuses for him because you're encouraging that behaviour. Nick owes a lot of money and Fanny hasn't noticed. 
And everyone knows it but her, yeah. yeah. So we cut to the races and he's got some money and his fragile male ego is damaged by Peterson at the races, who's like, I've got an idea, we can do this with some uh, iffy bonds. Or are it's you like too scared deal. of what your wife might think? And he's obviously like, he's thinking about it until the reference to, you know. Yeah, so what was his name? Peterson. Peterson. He says, yeah, I guess life's pretty easy when you've got Fanny Bryce as a meal ticket. And so he slams Peterson up against the wall and is like, that's my joke. Yeah. Only I'm allowed to say that. Exactly. Which, even if you're the one making that joke, is a pretty Mm. mean joke. It is. Like, oh, good, you're only with your wife because she pays for things for you. Yes. Well, clearly he has a good day at the races because he comes home with a creepy giraffe for Francis. Yeah. And he also goes to pay the help. But they say, no, you don't need to because Miss... Bryce has already paid for us for the next three months, so yeah, don't advance. worry. And again, fragile male ego. And it's made all the worse because the poor, I guess, housekeeper, maid yeah. housekeeper, says, oh, I mean, Mrs. Arnstein. Yeah, again, and he's like, no, Miss Bryce paid you with yeah. her Fanny Bryce money. But again, it is. It's especially because like people refer by her maiden name, not her married name. Yeah, and it is her working name. No, it like... is, and that's fine. And, like, again, empowerment. Like, she should be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's his fragile male ego. But it, it probably maybe would be more tolerable for him if it's, like, Mrs. Arnstein has paid. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder, I guess. And, again, I wouldn't be fussed by it if, you know, people used your maiden name, say this has been paid for. I'd be like, oh, cool, I'll, I'll uh, say thank you. You know, like... But it is it is disappointing the way he's progressing. Yeah. He lets her sit in on business. There's going to be a business talk, but I guess obviously she is more of a breadwinner than he is. So, you know, kind of has to. Yeah. And we learn that there is a chance for him to be a partner in a new uh, gambling establishment. Yeah, it's a casino kind of place, right? Yeah. And he says, well, that's great. What's the investment? And they say, no, 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 no investment for me. We're all putting an investment in. We want you to be the face of this place. Yeah, the front man and everything. it adds more legitimacy to our business. So, you know, and you'll get a cut, but you don't have to pay anything. So that's a great deal. How much are you putting in? 50000 You say, well, I need to put some money in as well because that's not fair. Like, no, seriously, this doesn't work if you are not the face. And he's yeah, like... we want to offer you a job more than anything else. And he twigs and he turns to Fanny and he says, and how much have you put in? And she says 50000 To her credit, she doesn't lie. Yeah, like, however... I say just, to her credit, not that she has to justify it, but... This is one of those things where, in a movie where we we spend a lot of time watching a character gamble away all of his money mm. and having Fanny come from nothing and yeah. then get big in vaudeville. Yeah. I don't know how much vaudeville actors got paid, but I didn't think she had $50,000 well, to look just at the, drop. Right, look at the size of this theatre that she's performing in, in the New yeah. Amsterdam, and the fact that her name is up in lights. She is the star. I know. I just... I obviously have a misunderstanding of how much money they have. I mean, this is pre-World War One as well. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot, you know, a lot of... 50,000 at that time, though. There's going to be, it is going to be a lot. But, you know, if you factor in that at one point she was getting $50 a week, which was seen as obscene, you know, like, Mm. she's she's in a, and she's performing nightly as well, you know. She is a a megastar at this point. 
Maybe I just don't have a... I also, like, this is a long time ago. Exactly. I don't know how money works back no, then. No, me either. But I don't, I don't find it difficult to believe that she has got that money. Mm. He is angry. He rings Peterson to agree to his proposition once everyone's left. He's mm-hmm. like, yes, I will do this illegal act. And Fanny comes off stage and she is told by Ziggy that Nick is in trouble. He has a criminal liar to help fight embezzlement charges. Oh, it's so nice that Flo's oh, here for this conversation. Yeah. Well, but this is it. And also just like the way he, he, he says, please come with me. We'll go out the other way so you're not confronted by all the press. He's trying to protect her. And this is when I said, like, he is the father figure to her because there is no father that we see in this. He yeah, he, no, a, her dad's dead. Yeah, so. so he is a very important father figure. Um, she she thanks him for the help but goes about her way anyways because it's, you know, like Frank Sinatra, she'll do it her way. Mm-hmm. And she goes and she charms them with all the jokes. You know, she she plays her Fanny Bryce persona until one of them says, do you still love him? Mm-hmm. Miss Bryce. And she says, don't you mean Mrs. Arnstein? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mrs. Arnstein, do you still love him? And she has no answer. Yeah. She hasn't had enough time to think about it. That's no. kind of a harsh thing to ask anyway. It is. But, you know. But everything else, she, she, she brushes off with, you know, like razzle dazzle. Yeah, because one of them says, well, you know, he could go to prison. And she's like, oh, well, I guess I'll know where he is every night. Like, yeah, but are you not worried about blah, blah, blah? And he goes, well, the lengths he'll go to to get out of my cooking. You know, things yeah. like that. Like, it's, you know, it's it's really good mm-hmm. until that last one. She just, she has no response. Yeah. We cut to the uh, courtroom and Nick pleads guilty. His lawyer could have got him off. Mm-hmm. You know, his lawyer does some, you know, good work. It's not been 24 hours. I've not properly assessed this. We need to wait. But Nick says, no, I am guilty. He gets two years with luck, 18 months. But, you know, at this point, we know his luck has run out. So who really knows? And he says to Fanny, divorce me. Yeah. But poor Fanny thinks it's all her fault. She refuses divorce and says she will wait until he gets home. And... They kiss, they embrace one time, but you really do see that he's not in love with her at this point. Yeah, he doesn't really care. No, he really doesn't. Uh, and he just says, nothing on stage bothers you. You'll be fine. Nothing on stage bothers you. And I don't think he actually knows her. He, no. really, he really doesn't. And it's... No, he knows... He, he understands, and I think this is in reference... What he's just said is in reference to... When she's being comedic, she's putting on a front. Yeah. But... The way that he phrases that is like, oh, you are that person who doesn't feel anything, who just is funny. Mm. And it's like, well, no, the whole like the whole start of your relationship was you being like, no, you're wonderful and perfect and interesting. And you put on this front of being funny, but I know who you really are. And now he's like forgotten all of that. Yeah, exactly. He says, so long, funny girl. And we're going to funny girl. Mm hmm. And I really do like the juxtaposition here of, you know, her talking about, you know, and singing lines that are funny, you know, about her persona, but just looking so broken. Yeah. And then we're back to the future. Yes, indeed. And I'm just like, she deserved better than Nick. You see why she's shown up here now a little bit fragile. And Yeah, we're two years in the future. Yeah, so clearly all this time has passed. I thought it was 18 months in the future because Nick said he got out after 18 months. He said he might. No, 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 but he's no, he says here it's been 18 months. All right, okay. Um, but you know, it could be two years, maybe there's been some gap in between. Um, Ziggy comes to say hello, he says he was worried about her, 
And yeah, I just like that he's so nice about it. He's just like, you know, yeah. you've still got this. We will always be here for you. Mm-hmm. And he goes and we get the 15 minute call. And then we look in the mirror. Bam, 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 bam. Nick is in <laughs> mirror so world. Great. He's in the mirror world. Considering that all the way through this movie, we've been like, he's like the Phantom of the Opera. He's like a vampire. Yeah. And then at this moment, he shows up just reflected in the mirror. Is so nice. I know. <laughs> I'm justified. Yes. Validation. And then she turns around and, you know, he's escaped to the mirror world. He's set loose. He doesn't he's commit the to the embrace. He gives her, like, the loosest of hugs as she wraps herself around him. She literally hasn't seen him at all because she couldn't go and visit him. Yeah. Yeah. Because people would know it was her. And do you know what? He's probably, it's again, he's going to blame her for the fact that, well, it's been 18 months and you never came to see me once. So clearly you don't love me. Mm. Oh, I was toiling away in jail. So again, proper gaslighting. He says he went to see the baby. No, he says he didn't. She said, oh. did you go to see Francis? Okay. And he says, no, I didn't. And, okay. And then she said, well, the baby's gorgeous. She looks like you. Does that mean Francis has his moustache? Well, I actually meant to bring this up. You know, when she's training with Eddie, yes, she says to Eddie, oh, she, the baby, she's so beautiful. Isn't she beautiful? And he's like, yeah, she's really healthy. Like, it's amazing. And she's like, no, no, she's, she, beautiful. she's beautiful. She doesn't look like me. Yeah. And it's just another layer of I know. sadness. Yeah. <laughs> because she's so obsessed with wanting her daughter to be pretty and not to have to be a funny girl. Which is such a shame. She's a phenomenal funny girl. Like, mm-hmm. great. Like, again, Barbara Streisand did not know that she was this funny. Like, at her origins as an actress. Nick says goodbye and she looks empty and she sings, My Man. Mm-hmm. Ever the professional, she goes out and she rocks it. And this is the most vulnerable performance we have seen from Barbara Streisand in this movie. Yeah, so the beginning of this song is performed semi-live. In yes. that her singing is live, the music is recorded. For her to sing to. Because she couldn't emote. Yeah, she said she wouldn't be able to emote whilst, while lip syncing to the song. And then you can kind of hear where it cuts into the, oh, yeah. the recorded part. But it was, it was powerful. But at this point, because they recorded this at the end of shooting, yeah. this is like one of the last days, her and Omar Sharif had broken up. And, and her and Elliot Gould had broken up. Yeah, and William Wyler put... Omar Sharif on the side of the stage while she was recording this and had him talk to her in between takes so that she would be heartbroken. Hey, I'm leaving you. Yeah, well... I don't love you. I don't know what he was going to say, but he he made Omar Sharif stand there and was like, look at him while you perform. You're not going to see him again. Basically. He doesn't love you. You've lost your husband. You've lost your mistress. Well, so she was still with her husband at this yeah. point. But yeah, it is one of the contributing factors. It was a very beautiful performance at the end. And then the lights go out and that's it. And yeah, very interesting show. Mm-hmm. What is your best song in this one? You Are Women. I know it's really bad. It's a terrible song and the whole meaning behind it is awful. Yeah. But... It's just got a nice beat. It's yeah. really memorable. And it's something that I hum a lot, especially because of the Amy Jo Johnson yeah. version. I put that as my skip song. That's really I just funny. really didn't like the sequence. But like I said, I have seen this song before and I know it's a good song, but I think this sequence just really disengaged me to that song. If I had a backup, it would probably be I'd Rather Be Blue yeah. or 
I'm the greatest star because that's my star. I, my my best song is Rain on My Parade because it's it's just iconic. But I would agree, the greatest star is is fantastic, and and the blue one, blue mm. double d double do. Yeah, what? I like old sounding vaudeville songs. Yeah. Anyway, I have a whole playlist. Which is why, like Gypsy, is one of like such an amazing song for that reason. Yeah, but what is your skip song? Probably Sadie Sadie. It was yeah. fine. Yeah. I you think, know, it's, and it's fine in the stage show. Yeah. It's just, I get it. I, I get a, why it's here. I have a few songs I don't like. I, not that I don't like, but just that I'm just like, okay, cool. They work with this, but I don't think I'd ever listen to them mm. outside of this. You know what, though? I'm really glad he doesn't have a song. If yeah. he had a song, I would. that would be my skip song. Yeah. Who is your MVP in this one? I mean, there's only one Barbara answer. Yeah, it's Barbara Streisand. <laughs> 100%. Now, what's interesting is I feel like you have, we both have less choice for roles we would play with this one. Well, you have two and I have one. I have three. Who's your third person, Eddie? Yeah. Now, I said I'd be Ziggy. Yeah. I don't want to be Nick. It's not even like you have a lot to sink your teeth into with her. No, and it's not even like, you know, the husband in Waitress who doesn't do much in the show, but you. But is evil. Is evil, but. You, he thinks he's justified, mm. you know, like where he's like, don't ever leave me. I'm nothing without you. Yeah, you're the only thing I have. Yeah, like, like you, f- it's not you like don't feel that. bad for him, but but he's got does he mean it? Does interest, he actually think yeah. that or is it just emotional manipulation? Mm-hmm. So I feel like you could really do stuff with that character, but I just feel like Nick is so flat and one note, you know. Mm. Who would you want to play? Well, so fairly obviously Fanny Bryce. However, that's not for me to play. No. I would never be cast as her. And interestingly... Yeah, but we talk each week about who would we want to play. Like, like I'm going to get cast as half these people I want to be, you know. (laughs) Well, you know, in the same way that we wouldn't be cast in The Lion King. No. You know, and for the same reason that that Sondheim didn't want Mary Martin to play this role. It's because it's culturally significant that mm. it's Barbara Streisand. No, I and I completely agree that this has to be a strong Jewish lead. Yeah. But I mean, this isn't a role that we'll be touching anyway. You know, for Yeah, we always talk about if we had our own like Amdram theatre company, yeah. What shows would we want to do? This isn't one I would want to put on. No, because I don't feel like it's appropriate for us to be touching this one. Mm. But, you know, part of our our show, part of our kind of order, the way we do this is we we talk about who we'd play and who which character you are most drawn to wanting to play. And, you know, the only female character of any note is yeah, Fanny Bryce. Like, are you really going to put yourself in the position to play mum or anything like that? You know, when mm-hmm. none of the other female characters really matter. Yeah. So, so interestingly enough, Sheridan Smith played yes, Fanny Bryce. I did see that, and I the, did not know she was Jewish. She is not exactly. Yeah, and the so the director had a massive like meltdown and had a massive go at a reporter who was there to report on the show and was like, you don't have to be Jewish to pay Fanny Bryce. I'm sorry, if Stephen Sondheim yeah. says that you do. See, this is the thing is, we've talked about it prom and I do think in terms of representation and what Fanny Bryce means to people, Yeah, I think you have to be Jewish. However, super interestingly, apparently on her opening night, yeah. she got a lot of negative feedback immediately and because yeah. everything's online now obviously mm-hmm. you don't have to wait to the next day to see what your reviews are yeah. like in the newspaper you go on twitter but somebody said 
She started with a Bronx accent, but then slipped into Irish. Oh, jeez. There was a dance scene where she grabbed somebody's groin. Oof. Um, and when she walked off stage, they literally dropped the curtain as quickly as possible. Another person said, I don't mean to sound nasty, but the show was uncomfortable from the start. Sheridan Smith was slurring her words in her Irish accent and forgetting her lines. Mm. Like, people were just like, but why, though? Yeah. Yeah, so she was playing the famously Jewish Fanny Bryce in what sounded like an Irish accent. For a number in Act 1, she had to make an entrance on a travelator, but she missed it and ended up just walking instead. The cast had been told to keep their mouths shut about everything that's happened. And apparently everybody got a lot of um, abuse from her during the show. And while the director apparently of that version decided that they didn't need a Jewish actress to play Fanny Bryce, I think it's disingenuous to the show yeah, no, to not cast a Jewish yeah. actress. Especially because this is a real person. Yeah. It's not like a fictional person where you, you know, you could do whatever you want with it. Right? Be like doing Motown and casting somebody white as Diana Ross. Yeah, no, I know. Like, not okay. (laughs) No, exactly. Or doing an all-white version of The Wiz. Mm -hmm. You know, there are just some things that... There's a joke about that in Glee. I know there is. That's why I referenced it. (laughs) You know, there are some things it's just like, yeah, don't, 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 don't. And I I think a non-Jewish Fanny Bryce is a choice that is best kept away from. Yeah. Certainly a choice. Certainly a bad one. Yes. So, I don't see why Rachel Berry would ever be cast in this role. I'm going to kind of touch on that before we we talk about reviews. Yeah, this is something we thought about as well. I don't think Rachel Berry has the personality Mm -hmm. to play Fanny because she takes herself way too seriously. She never does anything really that shows anything... Uh, inclined towards comedy everything is serious to her that is the opposite of fanny bryce yeah in so many ways it's really interesting that this is the one that was a big deal for her because you know barbara streisand's been in a lot of musicals and some of them are more serious than others look at like yentl i know you don't know it but they reference it in glee a lot i I just think that's the problem with putting her as this role she never comes across comedic no. You know, because she is your leading lady in mm. Glee and her motives and everything, the way she conducts herself is so the opposite of Fanny. I can't imagine the character of Rachel Berry having the personality in real life to perform this role well. If she did, I reckon it would bomb because people would say she didn't get the point. Yeah, specifically in... You are woman. I know yeah. I keep harping on about that scene in Glee, but the the sheer difference between this movie version with Barbara Streisand, where she is clearly uncomfortable. But I don't with think that's advances. so much an issue. I think that's fine for her to play it that way, and that's how it should be played. But I think the rest of the stuff, she doesn't have the personality where she could be on stage and like making asides to the audience and being self-deprecating. That's not Rachel Berry's style. Mm. And it's a weird choice, like you say, when there are so many other shows that she could aspire to be. Yeah, I know. I get the Barbara Streisand. Like, who doesn't want to be Barbara yeah, Streisand? I get but... that. I get that. But there are so many other shows that she could have aspired to be. And Funny Girl being the one just mm-hmm. doesn't fit Rachel Berry for me. Yeah. So that's kind of the glee talk done. We went on Twitter and Instagram, as we have done the past few weeks, to ascertain your views on Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. 100% of uh, people on Instagram who interacted with our poll, said they loved it. 
So that's a pretty good review. Yeah. On Twitter, 44% said, I love Funny Girl. 41% I like it, not love it. And 15% really not for me. So we have one that seems to have the majority of people liking this one, whether it would be like, not love, but this is one that people enjoy. Yeah. At uh, Linusteine said, truly one of the all-time great film debuts. Nobody could have done this role better than Barbara. Friend of the podcast at Miss underscore Elena. Funny Girl is my absolute favourite musical. Fanny is an absolute dream role of mine, and I've used I'm the Greatest Star in the past for school, choir concerts, and to this day, it's my go-to audition song. The show means a lot to me, as does Barbara. I am a huge Streisand fan. I have albums, CDs, cassette tapes, all her movies, books about her, her book about her house called My Passion for Design. I even have a Barbara t-shirt my (laughs) sorry elena her music influenced my voice so much as a child and still does and we did talk with elena at depth as well finishing it last night all about views you know we went in a a lot of detail about her Mm. views on the character of nick which i think we agreed with quite a lot um loved loved talking to elena so thank you for that i gave this one four stars overall yeah. I like it a lot. I wouldn't say love it, but I really do like this one. Um, I think there's some bold choices. I don't think Act 2 is as fun as Act 1, and it definitely wasn't what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we have this whole, like, theatre show, you know, a, a, a musical about being in the industry, and then we just lose a lot of that in Act 2. Yeah. And obviously we go for the more emotional range. And it is very much one of those shows where we set the world up in Act 1, only for Act 2 to be completely different and bring it kind of back. Nothing and... is ever good after the interval. <laughs> yeah. Rain on My Parade, yes, yeah, my best song in this one. It did not go how I thought it would. Like I say, I'm really surprised that that is a travel montage song. I, it's in in the stage musical. I need to make t-shirts that say, well, in the stage musical. <laughs> but yeah, in the stage show, it's also the finale yeah. song. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So not yeah, my man. Agree. This is when Oh she... no, she sings my man and then moves on with her life and sings Don't Rain On My Parade again. Okay, cool. I'd like that as an ending. I think that's quite a bold choice because it's like, well, hey, I'm going to get over it. Don't anyone bring me down. Yeah. Don't you bring me down. I think that's important. Oh, today and i do think the casting of nick was poor i can i can 100 percent see he is a good actor i just yeah. don't think I, I i don't get like you were saying why he became the be all and end all for fanny i don't think he had much going for well, him so in the list of men they considered for this role they wanted frank sinatra yeah. and barbara streisand vetoed him and then the considered guys that they auditioned for this Cary grant marlon brando Ooh. Gregory Peck, wow. Sean Connery, David Jansen, <laughs> Robert Culp, and James Garner. All of those guys, pretty great. I don't know if Sean Connery can sing, but yeah, certainly he, the Bond... Yeah, he could yeah, when he was younger. The Bond vibe would be... I mean, if he was in this, I'd just... It would have been Casino Royale for me. Like, oh, 100%. I, I 100% would have lost focus, so it's probably for the betterment of this that it wasn't... What came first? Sean Connery. I don't know, but the problem is I know him as Bond first. Yeah. So that is the problem. I think Cary Grant could have been good. It was the 50th anniversary of Bond in 2012 when Skyfall came out. Sean Connery, the first James Bond? Yes. Oh. I know nothing about anything but musicals. <laughs> we should do a Bond podcast. Oh, Actually, please no. shout out 
to one of my favourite podcasts, uh, Spy Hards, who are uh, a spy movie podcast, and they do cover a lot of James Bond films. Nice. So love them. And if you are a fan of spy movies, check out Spy Hards. Well, maybe we could collab with them and do a spy musical. Possibly. We have talked about if there ever is a spy musical. So There is. There's a Star Kid spy musical. Is there? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll get on that one. <laughs> okay, so next week is a big week for us. Yeah. We're old. <laughs> we are a year older. Yeah. Which is We've very, very cool. We've been year. I know. Well, almost a year at this point, but a year. Yes. So what is the plan for our main episode? Let's start with the main episode for next week. So because it's Easter. <laughs> and because a year ago we because, did Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You know, once a year we'll do something religious, apparently. So because... You know, it's been a year. We started with Joseph and we're going to go for another Andrew Lloyd Webber religion-based musical and do Jesus Christ Superstar, specifically the Tim Minchin version because I love him. Yeah. And we haven't got to talk about him yet on the podcast and I could do that at length. So we're going to watch Jesus Christ Superstar. Good. We're also going to have a special episode... Yes, that will launch a day later on the mm. 6th. So on the Tuesday, we usually drop our bonus episodes on a Wednesday. Yeah. Um, however, because the 6th of April marks a year since we dropped our episode covering Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, that's our exact year anniversary. And I am going to be giving Danny a little formative assessment to see how much he's learned this year. So I'm going to be writing a quiz that I've already started. I'm not done with it yet. <laughs> but about... All of the shows that we've looked at so far, thinking about actual trivia about the musicals, as well as songs from them. Do you remember like certain characters' cool. names and things? It's going to be fun. It's been really fun this week, reliving our podcasts via Miss underscore Elena's uh, Twitter feed, where she has done both our quiz episodes that we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. She did really well on the last one she did. I think she got 91%. Yeah. So uh, you can play along at home. Obviously, I had some success with the uh, Best Film Ever podcast quiz. Mm. I don't think I'm going to have the same success this time. But you will be able to find out on the 6th of April, a week tomorrow, when we launch the end of year assessment. Has Danny Learned Musicals? But we've also got some great shows on the horizon on the 12th of April, we're going to visit the uh, saviour of the planet with Dolly Parton. Oh, in... uh, sure. I thought you were talking about Jesus Christ Superstar. I was like, okay. Appropriately, we're going to have two weeks of saviours because yes. we will be looking at the best little whorehouse. Yeah, best little whorehouse in Texas. That's going to be fun. And then on the 19th, we have a very special week. We don't know what one we're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. We are going to be doing a sequel. Yep. We're doing a sequel. So we're either going to be watching Descendants 2 or High School Musical 2, but that is up to you, lovely listeners, because we so will have a poll coming watch out. Watch this space and uh, we'll see which which show you're going to torture me with. Please, please pick High School Musical 2. <laughs> now, because we're back in the swing of a year, mm-hmm. last year, the end of April, was Phantom Week. It's appropriate that we've talked about the Phantom quite a bit this week. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back for a Phantom week because what will we be watching, Drew? We're going to watch the movie version of Phantom and talk about why that got made and how it's a thing and the differences between the stage show and the movie. Yes, and then on the 3rd of May, as far as our programming goes for now, Mm -hmm. this one's for Jared Good. Yep. Because it's going to be a bank holiday over here. Mm -hmm. What 
better viewing for a bank holiday than bed knobs and broomsticks yes indeed so that is uh quite a lot of programming scheduled for our usual standards so there's a lot on the horizon to look forward to and i have a few that i know i want to do after that as well so so watch this space as always you can get involved in the conversation over on twitter and instagram at it's a musical pod let us know your thoughts on this show and let us know your thoughts on any of those shows coming up on the horizon especially jesus christ superstar mm-hmm. maybe you are a question that you'd like to uh, add to drew's quiz if you have been a loyal listener so you can always tweet at icarus illustration yeah. and let drew know a question that she could add to her quiz mm-hmm. Make sure you subscribe to us over on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Podcasts via the Amazon Music app, on Stitcher and on Podbean. So when these brilliant episodes go live, you are the first to know. And if you're feeling generous, why not give us a early birthday present and leave us a five star review. Tell your friends and family about us and convert them to It's a Musical Podcast. Yeah. But until then, we will see you next week. The same back place, same back channel for Jesus Christ Superstar. Have a magical musical Monday.